Welcome back to Pod Like This, The Matrix Revisited, a Waypoint Plus podcast. I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today I'm joined by Gita Jackson. Hey, what's up? I was I was bracing myself for whatever you're gonna say just then. Patrick Klopik. What did you say? What did you say? Pod like this. Okay. Pod like this. Mm. Pod like this. Oh. Our producer Ricardo Contreras. Oh, oh wait, I there get you it. Go. It took me a second. I didn't yeah. Hmm. It's better than I love it. it's better than <laughs> the travesty it's of last. It's off. better than jacking in. That we can say that. Jacking back in. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, no, we, we're no, returning but to we, it. But we finished oh. watching the movie, so we've jacked off. Exactly. Right. Oh, God damn it. Oh. Right. See now, it's, now it's Patrick's turn to make subtext text. <laughs> uh, so. You know, before we actually get into these movies, you know what? That's what Rob says at the lunch table after everyone goes to see the Matrix, and everyone's like, "Wasn't that cool shootout fun?" And then he's like, he's rubbing his rubbing his temples as people make the subtext text. Oh boy! Oh boy! Uh, actually, though, before we get into these movies and our reaction to them, having just rewatched them, I need to see some cards out on the table. Mm-hmm. How did we actually feel about the Matrix sequels? When they came out, like, did did you see both in the theaters? Did you maybe have, see one in the theaters? I have a story that you guys heard last time we recorded, but it's new for everyone else. My fifth grade class went as a class trip to see The Matrix Reloaded all together. And we were all so hyped. Like, we put money together and our teacher took us. <laughs> like We were, like, incredibly excited. And then I didn't see Revolutions. <laughs> Gita, I made a surprisingly similar value judgment about the urgency with which I needed to see that third movie after uh, Reloaded. You know, it just didn't ever seem like the right time. You know, I I didn't dislike Reloaded, but I feel like I had a pretty good sense of what was to follow. I I was 13, Patrick. You say, well, Patrick disliked Reloaded. Well, yeah. I don't know. No, my my, I was th- trying to think through that because I knew that would probably come up and be yeah. like the opening of this uh, conversation. And I guess my answer is is my inability to remember <laughs> to remember. Yeah, anything. <laughs> I definitely saw both of them. You know, have, have, have distinct impressions that I I went to those movies, but they left utterly no impression other mm-hmm. than. Monica Belushi leaving I mean, a distinct, yes. <laughs> distinct impression oh, upon yeah. a you, young you mean Monica <laughs> Belushi wearing an Isabella Rossellini uh, disguise the entire yeah, movie. Gina and I had the same experience of watching this. We thought that she was Isabella Rossellini. It was really, really <laughs> funny. And then we were both like, wait, what? No, Monica Belushi. <laughs> the other one. Uh yeah, no, I mean, I, I remember I was there day one. I was like, mm-hmm. man, the, the Matrix was such an incredible, like, defining theater experience. Like, really, the only question is, how many times am I going to see this movie? And the answer was just, like, once. Just once. one time. And then, yeah, when Revolutions rolled around, I was like, nah, nothing about Reloaded really got me hyped to see the rest. I felt like it was really... Uh, frustrating sequel in a lot of ways. And I think it was also maybe one of the first experiences I had in a theater where some things are more exhausting, I think, in a theater Mm -hmm. than they are, like, at home. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's now standard. Like, if you you go see a Christopher Nolan movie in a theater, you're going to be... Whatever the film... Whatever's happening in the film, there's a good chance you'll be exposed to some, like, sonic torture. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like, for an extended period. Wow. 
Yeah. See, this is what made, we'll have our own Tenet podcast later, but this is what made Tenet so much more enjoyable for me. Watching it at home, I didn't feel like I was surrounded by Christopher Nolan nerds who would get upset if I had an auditory reaction to the things I was seeing. So I could just react normally. And also, (laughs) but you also exist on Twitter. Yeah. A paradox. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I do this to myself. Um, but Welcome to the theater of the world. It's <laughs> a global village was a warning. Um, I, mean, I, do, I do think Major Sequels came out at a time in which uh, I can't talk to my younger self, but the lack of impression makes me think it was around, like the time when you could start being disappointed by things and understanding. Understanding were, why, yeah. You could have an expectation for a thing, and maybe you weren't, you know, we weren't all raw. We couldn't articulate them, those thoughts. Yeah. But I do think that was of an era, you know, the lost world coming out. Like there was yeah. like, it, it's like approaching a spot in like young Patrick's life in which he was blown away by a, you know, an original thing. A sequel comes along. It was just the idea of like, hey, sequels are usually yeah, like, hey, you don't understand what like capitalism and like franchises are yet. Yeah. But you live you, in a post Godfather 2 world already. You well, know? You, look, like, you look at that stuff like candy, right? Like, look. Really liked that piece of chocolate. You know what I like? Like another piece of chocolate. Yes. Yeah. 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 The first one? Yeah. No. But you okay. know what I like? We also I like chocolate. Be, um. We have to be fair to ourselves. At In 2003, when these movies came out, we were absolutely already saturated in The Matrix. Like it is an everyday occurrence. So That's true. It's, it's the not there was a break, Matrix, really. Yeah. Yeah. We all needed just like, we. what we needed was... And this is going to be, I think, a refrain for me for the entire the entire pod. It's just like they needed to take more time to develop all of the ideas in these movies. And also the world needed more time between the Matrix and Matrix sequels. We were already still in Matrix fever. We were beginning to have bad Matrix imitators at this point. You know, seeing the Matrix was no longer a mind blowing spectacle because we'd seen the Matrix before. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was around this time, like, you knew Matrix references were getting washed, and maybe so was The Simpsons, uh, mm-hmm. when <laughs> The Simpsons did a, uh, like, I think it was an in-sync Matrix joke, where oh they jump God. into the air, and the camera whips around, and I was like, well, I think uh, that special effect is done. Yep. Um, Kato, come on, join us in the circle of trust here. I, you know, I was a dumb kid, I was like, yeah, it was cool, I wonder how it's gonna end. I let it wash over me. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see this in the theater. I, I, I maybe was still too young to be disappointed by the, I don't, yeah, how many I don't fights think, there like were. That, no, 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 no. There's no, if you kind of, if you liked those movies at the time, like that's fine. That's fine. I don't think like, but it was, like, it was, it was well, the religious thing. allegory and no, no, like the density he, of the, <laughs> here's the thing. I absolutely, okay like I absolutely, uh, it was like one of these things where like, what I realized was like, oh, this is only half of the story. And I was kind of upset by that, but that that only made me want the the third one more. It's like I need to see the end of this story because they only showed you know me the what? first half of it. You know, you know what they really feel like in terms of pacing: the penultimate and finale episode of a series of television. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Reloaded feels like watching the episode, the first part of a two-parter series finale. Yeah. Well, it's also and, not, yeah. And not, not too dissimilar to, like, to Dune, honestly. It's like, yeah. well, the movie's just over. Um, <laughs> I, uh, Goodbye. Sorry. We're, we're searching uh, the hard drive and there's there's nothing else. Uh, would you like to watch uh, like some funny Twitter clips of uh, t- uh, uh, Timothy? Like, that's about yeah. all we got. Here's Timothy Chalamet twerking to Nicki Minaj. Here you go. Because yeah. um, it is the Emma. I I was uh, I mean I guess maybe now we're just getting getting into it with the the movies but like even I I I you know I remembered zero other than oh all that Jesus Christ stuff right like yeah. that's like yeah. one of the There's only a lot of things it. like a rave underground yeah dreads obviously. Monica Belushi Monica Belushi Monica Belushi like I remember a lot of that and then the dress is really a lot it is uh, and. Uh, and then like like the the Jesus stuff like that's all but like other than that it was like pretty much like watching two new films um, mm-hmm. which in which in a way was like kind of exciting like I remembered just I remember what we've memed and like like remembered about those films as like right. a, as a as a culture but in terms of remembering what actually happens moment to moment in these films what are the emotional arcs uh, what they do like all of it was essentially. Uh, like a brand I, new experience. I straight up in my brain swapped fight scenes and like dialogue scenes from these two movies in my brain where like my memory <laughs> a, of them. There's a lot of them. Like, yeah. The, the, there's a lot of both. From the, 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 the sequels feeling. is when, when in doubt to add another 12 minute fight. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, it really feels like they wrote the set pieces out first and then they had them on index cards and we're swapping them around. Like, you can move a lot of the set pieces around just mentally. And they like, did because the movie opens with like, like, okay, we got a lot of table setting. We're going to have to do the start of the Matrix Reloaded. Mm-hmm. People aren't going to sit still for that. So we need to give them the hit of that pure Matrix adrenaline right away. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to have, we're going to have Neo's dream of what the heist of the film could be like and how mm-hmm. it could go wrong. And we're just going to open on that uh, because like, we know what you're here for. You're here to see some cool bullet time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> they aren't wrong, but it does have that feeling of like, and I'm just going to sweep this little index card over mm-hmm. here to yeah. get people back on the hook Very and remind much. them why this <laughs> the, is awesome. So what, what really I was thinking about while watching both of these movies, other than I, I realized quite violently that I had never finished Matrix Revolutions, but I've attempted to watch it many, many times. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can see the exact <laughs> point where I fell asleep every time. Oh, no. But in the first one, you know, the first Matrix film, the way that each plot beat leads into the next is incredibly tight. It's an airtight script. There's and no these, room and for these to sequels breathe. like only underscore that to yeah. like, yes. such an like <laughs> very the mo- much. The first movie gets better, and and I, you know like I I I unabashedly now love Revolutions. I think that movie mm-hmm. is terrific. Like really, really, re- really like I can't that wait movie. For this conversation. Um, <laughs> but I do, but I do, but I do think like. Th- those two films, which are really just one movie, um, yes. uh, are uh, it, it just illustrate like how wh- exactly what you're saying, Gide, which is like yeah. how tight and how you just know, every part of that movie like just seems even about, better by comparison. 
in that beginning setup portion, the first half hour of The Matrix, just thinking about the plot beat of the white rabbit to the club, to the alarm sound, to him waking up, to the him duck walking, trying to escape the agents, to him getting bugged, to the smash cut, to the next day. You can name every single thing that happens to Neo by memory. I haven't seen that movie now for like, like since it's been like a month since I've watched it. And I still know every single event that leads to the next one, especially because sometimes the sounds and images from these events bleed into each other uh here it really it when you say it really is one movie like yes there's about enough material for one good movie in this entire four hours and that isn't to say that i don't think that the ideas developed that are presented in revolutions that are incredibly beautiful the last half hour that movie was like like heartbreakingly beautiful to me but it needed the amount of time, these scripts needed the amount of time that the original Matrix script had to just tighten and coalesce every single event because it seems like a lot of these things could just happen in any order. Yeah, like I was sort of stunned when I started sitting down to like prepare a bit for the show. I just watched Reloaded. Like it was a week ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, how did that movie start? Yeah. How did it start? Because I it turns out because the thing is, it starts with a dream sequence. What I remember is the meeting of the commanders um so the as the proper event, start of the story, which it is. The first event I really remember as the proper start of the story is the emotional core of the story and where the story should have started, I feel, which is the rave at Zion. Where it's just like, here we're setting up what is important about humanity and what you want to save. And what's important to Neo also, who is our lead character and what he wants to save. You know, like I love. And it's rave culture. And it's rave culture, which feels like so uniquely Wachowskis. You know, they <laughs> that and the Merovingians Club is just where the the, the Merovingians Club. Was there a dress code for his hench people, his sassy twink <laughs> hench people? They're all have like tight little booties and they're always swaying their hips. I don't get it. The one yeah. guy with the clear bustier and pasties. Yeah. Look, the the Merovingian is getting an employment lawsuit. It's just a, it's just a matter of time. As soon as the Matrix writes that program into being, that yeah. guy is fucked. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> the I, harassment I, lawsuit program. So... <laughs> You know, but here, here's the thing I, I will say. Here's what I started to really appreciate more about Reloaded and helped me figure out, I think, the one of the real reasons why I sort of resisted this film um, is that the, the first thing that sort of gives you whiplash about Reloaded is that we've actually changed perspectives on the story in a really frustrating way. Like, The Matrix Reloaded is viewed from the outside of the true believers we spent the entire first movie with. And it's examining like, what does it mean for a savior to actually appear in a political and like material context? Like it frustrated the hell out of me because watch, I I do know, like remember it the first watching it the first time I know Neo's the one. Uh, And so I'm sitting there being like, come on, do the one shit. But (laughs) the thing we're, we're learning is that, it's not actually clear what the one is supposed to do and what they'll achieve. And more importantly, there are a lot of people who don't even believe in the prophecy of the one. So I think there's this there's a thing where we all go into this movie 
with this image in our heads of uh, like the soaring superheroic Neo. Like, can he do the that? The, can he just like, like takes? Can they go there with a video camera and be like, "Yo, did you see how he jumped into that agent and blew him up? Can anyone? Yeah. Can anyone else? Do yeah. There is a little bit of like this movie does at the start of just like, so we're just gonna okay, all that cool shit that that he did at the beginning. Like, just can we just kind of forget that for a little bit? We yeah. need like, kind no, of. No, I, think, I think it's not uh, just that though. It's like I would say. People know he can do cool shit. Has not changed with the arrival of this human god. You know, like that's what it feels like. All these arguments they're having feel totally irrelevant because Neo's there and he can fly. (laughs) He like he can fly in the the matrix, right? Right. Like like Zion, he's just a dude. um, At least, and like it's like it. Yeah, like it's like even if he can do all this cool shit in the matrix, that doesn't mean necessarily that this thing that people have said. is gonna happen will happen right like oh mm-hmm. this guy is like really good at doing crazy shit in the matrix doesn't automatically mean for everyone that means he's gonna end the war for us single-handedly basically right <laughs> but that first right? movie like like if you go having <laughs> just watched that first movie like that shift is is so such it's so hard because that think, movie is an all-time stinger it, yeah. it is like yeah. You yep. are pumping your fist like he fuck him up, Neo. <laughs> yeah, like, what you feel? And yeah, movie. I don't know how he's gonna dismantle this structure, but like he gonna like yeah, like, yeah. And, and and then um, the movie starts like yeah, but like how does that impact the you know the skeptical non-religious people in the Zion culture? And it's you, like, you really like that's all really needed. It's like at the heart of like these two movies, and I really that's part of why like there's such a good payoff. I think in in the third movie that like this movie does the table setting for, but it's absolutely true that like it's really weird were, from a expect. And I think that's part of like the. Mm-hmm. Like as teenage, like young, like yeah, you know, yeah. young teenagers responding to this film, why you'd be immediately disappointed because we thought you were getting was the Superman Superman movie, and we was like, well, uh, what about like the death of Superman? Like what, like yeah. you know, like what about a movie? It's a little more of a bummer. Yeah, um, I feel like a core problem of this. Also, which David and I have been discussing, because he also had to watch the Matrix sequels for work for a, at a different time. But um, so we watched, we were talking about this last night, and we were really just talking like it is a real problem that Zion feels like a complete non-place, right? Mm-hmm. The Nebuchadnezzar that feels like a real place. Those relations mm-hmm. when you get onto the Nebuchadnezzar. And you see like all these people and they're like, hello, this is my crew, the Nebuchadnezzar. They all have names that ironically reflect their occupation. You're just kind of like, great. <laughs> like, you know, it's gestured towards, but you do feel like they have a relationship to each other. So even though you don't forget to know these characters very well, you feel sad when they die. Here in this movie, I am just constantly being introduced to new guys I've never met before that <laughs> I don't care about. And then the society itself... There's a council of elders and there's this rave and there's religion, but none of it feels as concrete as the connections that the members of the Nebuchadnezzar had to each other, right? <clears throat> like in the first Matrix, you do hear about Zion, but there is like this implication that there's like maybe 50 people, you know? <laughs> yeah, I assume it's just the council. It's just a bunch you know? of people waiting for Jesus to show up. But instead, like the scale of, the, of this society like, is huge. I mean, there are millions mm-hmm. of people potential thousands potentially tens of thousands. Like, yeah it, it really feels like if if these sequels existed now like the matrix had been made f- five years ago 
like a lot like there would have been a Zion TV show on HBO Max. Yes, and absolutely. That like you would have gotten all of that world building would have happened somewhere else so that the movies could just bring that in without having well, to to do that work. The movies are kind of playing with that too. Yeah. Like quick aside, the opening of this um, is what if we did the Palpatine has returned thing in an animated short yeah. uh, that's been released before this comes out? Because the opening it's, crisis it's incredibly fucked up that the final flight of the Osiris isn't just a part of this narrative, right? Because that's like what? plot important. <laughs> the Dude, final yeah, flight no. of the Osiris is the like first. They keep- is, is that the first God. thing in the Animatrix? It's the first one. It's yeah, the, first the first one first in the Animatrix. I've completely forgotten all of that. I, I oh, it's Claire Enix's f- contribution to the Animatrix was the final right. flight of the Osiris. And right. it takes place in another ship like the Nebuchadnezzar being completely demolished because they discovered that the robot army is a lot bigger than they thought it was. This mm. also comes up in Enter the Matrix. Last night when I was very stoned, yeah. I was watching Enter the Matrix cutscenes with David. Yeah. <laughs> David, who played Enter the Matrix, but played as Ghost and not Niobe. What? I know who would make that choice. Uh, look, David some did. people they built. Wait, the also to choice. be clear, uh, this I feel, which I feel is important because I I didn't remember this, but I I looked it up, and all of the cutscenes in Enter the Matrix are fucking. FMV, like they're all and directed mm-hmm. by the Wachowskis. Like the Wachowskis they are all, shot <laughs> they an incredible shot. amount of yeah. footage for this yep. game, and it's uploaded in like. The worst resolution possible because it was made for like the PS- PlayStation Three or something. This is it's as PS- God love yeah. them. They're actually out there swinging for like the transmedia fences. Yeah, and, absolutely. Like, actually, but not in the cynical like. So the the this is like they're doing the like good version of what um like Shadow of the Empire was. Where like Lucas is just like we're gonna create a property and it's gonna be a big deal in Star Wars. Not because the property is interesting at all. It's like we created knockoff Han Solo and sent him off an adventure. And like everyone needs to be asking, where's knockoff Han Solo uh, in the story? <laughs> yeah. Game, comics, novel, etc. Wachowskis are like, we love fucking video games. We're gonna we're gonna make sure these video games are good. Yeah. We love yeah. anime. anime. They straight up were like, let's just give Masaki Yuasa a ton of money, and he was like, <laughs> yeah, great, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so yeah, there's like a really dramatic thing. The precipitating event for this crisis meeting of the captains is this animated short that, uh, like we were supposed to see. Uh, because we were so like mm. we were so uh, plugged into the matrix. I, mean, I did. I, I watched the animation. Yeah, but, yeah. but now yeah. I haven't, and I completely no, I, forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so when they're like, we received we received a message from the Osiris, and I was like, <gasps> oh shit. That also happened. To <laughs> yeah, me. I had like a sudden, just sort of like a, something two puzzle pieces snapped into place, and I, I feel was like, like, yeah, oh my god, I'm being unzipped fully. <laughs> We're all truly that Leo <laughs> Leo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The other thing, I think the other the other little bit of whiplash we're gonna have to get is the degree to which people in the Matrix personas are not there outside the Matrix personas, and mm-hmm. it is like I think there is no Niobe looks so hard in the Matrix, oh like my just God. incredible, Jada like Pinkett. cyberpunk warrior queen, just absolutely <laughs> destroying people. I, she looks incredible in this movie. The whole brown leather snake jacket look. I mean, the one thing I'll say about this new character is that she's not developed at all, but her chemistry with Lawrence Fisher is incredible. And you like kind of just want Larry to get laid. So you are. I feel like the love triangle works for me where I'm just sort of like Morpheus deserves it. <laughs> He's been through a lot. 
And also, it seems like his whole savior thing's not really going to work out, and yeah. Zion's going to be lost. So, I have b- so bummer many, for Morpheus. I have so many issues with the way they look. How they massacred my boy is how I feel about <laughs> Morpheus. He looks. He gets the single-handedly the best and coolest fight scene in this these two movies uh, yeah. on top of the truck during the highway. Just him with a fucking samurai sword. I could watch that <laughs> for the rest of my life and be happy. But then they're just sort of like, and goodbye, even though his like over his overwhelming faith ends up being so central to the core themes of these movies. Yeah. It it really frustrates me that that final line in the movie is given to the Oracle and not not Morpheus, because Morpheus is the one who always believed. And like his belief, his irrational belief is the thing that Neo needs to fully embody and like internalize about himself in order to make the sacrifice he needs to. I, I wish but I wish that we'll get could have easily made the the final line when he 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 has a really good moment. His like concluding moment when he says like, yeah. "Is this day, like has this day really come?" And yes. like, he's crying and like into the top. It's a really beautiful moment. Like you could easily imagine a different ending, which is yeah. like, and then like you know pan up and you know like cut to black to give him. Yeah. Um, that yeah. little that little bit. Yeah, it it needs it. It's so much more emotional. Like the another big problem, an overarching theme of this is just we meet too many new guys. Yeah, and I really care about like three people in these movies. Well, so this is yeah, this is the tension. Is what it's so. I actually think this is kind of done well. Is that it is funny now to see people who are just tired of Morpheus's shtick. Who are just like, oh, it's prophecy guys here. Jesus Christ. I wonder what Morpheus is going to have to say. Morpheus, what do you think we should do? Oh, get, what? We should let the one take care of it? Thank you, Morpheus. Goodbye. The rest of us are going to sit over here. Hang, and hang up on the fucking call. Robot very, Zoom call without Morpheus. Yeah, you can uh, see everyone turning their camera off when Morpheus uh, comes on screen. <laughs> just like, okay, I'm going to make a cup of coffee now. He's going to be talking for a while. <laughs> yeah, so like, it, it's, it is funny, but at the same time, yeah, there's not many, like, there are not oppositely charged poles in this mm-hmm. film from the original cast. And so every time we're like, let's get let's get really deep into the the politics of the captains of Zion. I'm like, these guys? Really? <laughs> yeah. do, we, like, yeah. do we really want to? Cornell do we West? To? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, no, sorry, Cornel the captains. You, you, there. <laughs> sorry, you meant the, the well, captains. The council before. the council is is just cameo oh. fodder. Cornell West being there just cracks me the fuck yeah, up. It's so funny. Uh, he loved the Matrix so much and <laughs> they loved him and yeah. See, but, I didn't believe I didn't believe it when I was like, no, that's not. No. Brother West? Brother just West. in case we're in any doubt. Yeah. Just if there's any doubt. <laughs> didn't even change his name. Uh so they just took him out of the matrix and they were like, well, you're Cornell West. So on to the council you go. <laughs> just emerged from the pod that way. Yeah. <laughs> just like, Didn't need a haircut. Just no, like, no. Oh yeah, you're ready. Let's go. <laughs> the matrix actually just like ejected him. Like just getting too weird in the matrix. And so I was like, you gotta like, go. Dog, uh, you're annoying. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the the other thing is we we are going to get a taste of like it does try to show like we're not going to put limits on Neo's power but he's still the one like agents can't stand up to him so we're going to get that awesome fight scene where like he does the one shit and massacres the hell out of them yeah. um and he like so the the agents are no longer really even a relevant villain uh in the story but of course the real relevant but only villain to Neo, is right? Hugo like- Weaving walk yeah 
everyone well, else everyone like else, everybody has else a rod. is leveled up. But like like the thing he says to those two people as he gets to the door is like everyone run for your ships like their yes. agents coming, right? Like he's able to hold them off. He doesn't even like defeat like really like he knocks them out or whatever, but I don't think he kills those agents because doesn't Smith, wait, hold on, I'm forgetting. Smith shows up beforehand. Smith sort of heralds the arrival of the agents. Then he shows up just to announce, like, give Neo this and tell him thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Reloaded is this, you can tell these were index cards they moved around because Smith does not need to be in this film at all. The Burly Brawl could have happened at any other point in time. Also, if if it didn't happen at all, it would have been, but like, that is, like, it's so interesting, Mm -hmm. the, like, the, 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 that first half of that fight fucking rules. Yes. And then the yes. second half of that fight when it turns into like the CGI from a Marvel oh. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but unfortunately, you know, 15 years later or whatever uh, yeah. is I guess like reloaded especially has like a bunch of like CG issues that I had like almost no issues with in like uh, reload. Like even like the like CG heavy Zion combat scene that we'll get to later, like it's just staged really well in a mm-hmm. way that like. The aging effects did not bother me whatsoever. Yeah. Yet constantly, even in the fucking cool ass Morpheus fight, where yo, I'm gonna stand here with a sword and like the cut open, like the stuff on the top of the truck, I was constantly taken out of it yeah. because I could just, I was like, oh no, I've got effects brain. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't it. have as much of an issue here with that because I was really looking at. <clears throat> Especially in the first half of the Burly Brawl and the on top of the truck fight, the cinematography there is really like incredible fight cinematography that yeah. is still unmatched, unparalleled in the two decades since. Oh, uh, absolutely. Like it, it's even little, little touches that are homages to classic Kung Fu films, um, like uh, a crash zoom to the point of impact to show you, especially when it's um, Morpheus leaping into the air and doing that crane kick and showing you where he would have hit the agent in the skull with his elbow. That kind of stuff. Really, to me, I was just sort of like, I I can suspend my disbelief about the sort of rubbery way they move for this. But there is a point in the Burly Brawl where you under you are uh, video game poison brains do just see that nothing mm-hmm. on the screen is real. There's a lot of it's interesting going in and out of that moment in that fight because all the stuff with all the hundreds of Smiths, some of whom just have to be generated by computers yeah. or CGI. There's a point in where there's so many you're just sort of like I can't tell which one is the real guy. Like this can't you know this. Uh, David sent me a, a really long article on Wired from 2003, right after the movie came out, where they talked about their their goals in showing and what they wanted the fight to choreography to and what the cinematography to look like is this can't possibly be real, but I can't tell how it's fake. There are moments, especially when there is like when it's just like 30 Smith guys mm-hmm. uh, coming out where you're just like, I literally just can't tell how they shot this. I have absolutely no idea. And it looks perfect. And it, when they when they overshoot, it, it's just sort of in that fight scene. It's like, well, okay, you didn't know how this would age. When they overshoot in other aspects, or when they just de- don't devote this level of care to the connecting tissue between fight scenes, is when my brain just is just totally like, I don't know why I'm even watching this movie. There's an unfortunate, I think, reloaded. An unfortunate aspect of Reloaded is that it has all of the best fight scenes in it, and Revolutions does not have that level of spectacle. And it really feels like completely uneven. They should have shuffled those 
Ignite's cards a little bit more well, and put more impressive fight scenes to the other movie. The thing I'll say is, in Revolution's defense, I think this is maybe why I liked it even when I finally did get around to seeing it um, when it came out on DVD and I was like, wait, Matrix... It turns out this went somewhere good and I like it, actually. It did end up uh, somewhere good, yeah. But The Matrix Revolution is... Re- Revolutions is a film with great battle scenes and no good fights uh, is the way I would put it. Um, And yeah, like all the stuff that we show up for is like sort of this reinterpreted cyberpunk martial arts stuff. The last we're going to see of the really good shit is going to be here in reloaded. And there are going to be places where the sheer weightlessness of these encounters is going to like, no matter how drastic things get in the matrix, you feel every punch, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you, like, and the CG just exaggerates it because, like, when characters go flying like a missile across the screen because they took one to the, to the face, like, you're like, holy shit. And here, as soon as it starts pulling these these moves, uh, and it's always, I think, at the worst with, with Smith because you're always fighting multiple dudes. It you always should've... starts to feel like there are, like, there are no stakes here. Mm-hmm. Neo's immortal. Smith's not real and none of this looks convincing. And so like, it's a lot of movement, but no violence, no, no fear. I feel like like they do manage to nail that by the end. Like, I think the final fight in revolutions is spectacular. I absolutely agree. um, (laughs) Yes. And they they do that by doing exactly what, (laughs) accidentally responding to a criticism that you only could have understood after the films came out, which is like, cool, have the thousands of Smiths. Yeah. Like, what is this entire arc of this, like these three movies about like yeah. these, these two competing yeah. uh, characters and like that it's, final fight is, you know, spectacular. I mean, and I think it's because they pare it down. Yes. They pare it down. They also uh, really lead into the grandiosity by having like, they're in the sky and they're getting simultaneously hit by lightning during this rainstorm. It's so uh, melodramatic. All the Dragon Ball Z, yeah, water balls. <laughs> give me more. Give me it's, more. I, I love that fight. And I think it is like the, the, the sort of index cardsiness of it, of, of it all really is highlighted that to me because that is the logical endpoint of all of the ideas in the matrix is that fight, those two people duking it out for their respective ideologies. However, the events leading up to this don't feel like they made were made in the right order for me to really understand that as a viewer. I know this because we've thought about the matrix for multiple decades now, you know, <laughs> we've had a chance to really sit down and watch these movies over and over and absorb their themes and read about their production and read about the beliefs of the people who made them and understand what they're influenced by. But I think as a person, as a 13 year old, when these movies came out, I don't think that I was being teed up for the emotional satisfaction of having Neo stand up and say, because I choose to. You know, yeah. <laughs> which is, is like that's a badass fucking scene, and it yep. is the exact right point for that movie to end. I just don't necessarily feel like it's the conclusion feels earned by the tale that was told preceding it. Um, I think something else that like becomes apparent by the end, but maybe only because we're told like. One of the things the Reloaded is trying to recast is our understanding of like, there's the machines and then there's the Matrix. And they're actually one and the same. Like the the Matrix is kind of also its own world and it has its own gods. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, 
you could argue that well, the Matrix was exists to like keep mankind, uh, you know, enslaved to these machines. But on the other hand, you could argue that the Matrix is using the tension between these two forces, and the and the programs within the Matrix are using the tension between these two forces to sustain their world. Uh, ter- it turns out, uh, Rob, robots can get bored too. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the most interesting development in terms of what the world of the Matrix is like is the Merovingian. <laughs> I love the Merovingian, and I, I love the way that it sets up a hierarchy in the world of the Matrix, where there is an underground. Like, there are also outcasts from the world of machines. There are, now that machines are making life themselves, they have to understand that their creations are not wholly subservient to them and resist deletion. That's the most effective new plot thread that's added into these two yep. films, I think. Yeah, they, they, they introduce death for a, like... An enemy who's like, well, death doesn't mean anything to them. They have yeah. a purpose. They serve the purpose, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. And like introducing concepts of, you know, love, death, like to, uh, like well, at this point, which is like a separate race, is mm-hmm. like really f- fascinating. Yeah, and they they do something that I think you know, uh, uh, the thing that people said about Near is like most bad sci-fi asks, can our robots people, and what Near Automata asks is, are people people? Like that is what comes starts coming, the philosophical aspect that starts bubbling to the surface when you interact with characters like the Merovingian. And it's like Persephone's desire for love and her understanding of the physical aspect of love and expression of love. It really starts to ask, make the viewer ask questions of themselves about the relationship between Neo and Trinity. Like what is love? What is partnership? And it begins rolling that ball down the hill of what is it? What is the meaning of self? How do you determine self? How do you determine your own selfhood? How do you make choices when you don't have the ability to truly make a choice? You know, like Persephone's desire to stay and to to see the love that you once saw in the Merovingian, to is to long for it and to be jealous of people who have love in their lives. It is a really deep philosophical thing without it. It taps into the philosophical aspect of the first Matrix films that is only occasionally present, I think, in Reloaded, more present in Revolutions, but kind of, you know, it's it's the opposite. It it, it often feels like it's 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 there uh, almost by happenstance as opposed to the entirety of the Matrix relies on like exploring that. Like you get and the bits that you hear, like, I mean, that scene with Trinity and and Neo and Persephone when she asked him to kiss him. Oh yeah. Is like like that scene went right over my head. Mm-hmm. Like did not understand like <laughs> I didn't how get it until recently. fucking tense that scene was yeah. when I was a kid. And looking at now, like I was like, oh my I'm just like like just squirreling in like my seat the the entire time. Like I like it's it's it was scenes like that that justify like whatever problems, yeah. which are many in, in Reloaded, like yeah. scenes like that, which do so much like heavy lifting for stuff that like pays off in revolutions, but is like is great because it harkens back to the stuff in the original. Like, yeah. hey, it's a philosophical debate that, that are anchored by, by these human characters that we yeah. can empathize with. Yeah. And we're also now introducing, you know, we're taking the, the, the Smith revelation from the end of the first film of like, mm-hmm. ah, shit. Uh, the robots realize that being a like parts of humanity are complex and maybe not immediately satisfying and yeah. have quick resolutions. And as like the robots des- develop or by accident, like 
end up having consciousness or it's like rubbed off because of their experience with humanity. That part is not really explained of like how that comes about, but like seeing those clash, um, or like real highlights, um, in that. Yeah. I I think, you know, you can tell that one version of this story didn't have Hugo weaving in it because the Merovingian and Persephone, they seem to really live out the camp aspect of the original Matrix Mm. that would have been lacking if Hugo Weaving wasn't present. But the thing is, Hugo Weaving is here. So it starts (laughs) to feel kind of redundant, you know? He's still here. He's hamming it up. He just didn't need to be in this movie at all. He doesn't or it do could have just anything. been some sort of tea, like, you yeah. know, just like, you know, set him up as the big bad for the third because he, he'll be needed for well, that. Oh, that, that it's whole tough. scene where it's like inevitable. <clears throat> that could have been literally the stinger at the end of the movie. I, I think it's it's tough that the thing that they're trying to, because what this is ultimately going to hinge on is that Neo turns out to be a savior, not just for humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Neo's saving two civilizations mm-hmm. and like like three worlds, basically, mm-hmm. uh, by the end of this. And so the Reloaded is frantically trying to be like, OK, so the thing Morpheus left out is uh, programs are people, too, and they have their mm-hmm. own rich inner life here in the Matrix. And Smith represents a threat to all of that, that mm-hmm. Smith now has become <clears throat> the idea of the virus that so fascinated him. In the first movie, and he is going to be this force of like pure malevolent, like cancerous reproduction and destruction. Um, and that's going to be really important. We're going to pay all that off. But in the meantime, here are a million concepts coming at you uh, yeah. just endlessly. And yes, and each time there's going to be a massive gear shift as like Hugo Weaving comes comes on the screen and like chews through scenery in his way, uh, you know, is, is like bitten off delivery of each line. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have... Um, you know, the, the Merovingian, uh, beloved of Can 2003, I'm sure. Uh, just <laughs> a program that really wants to be a French dirtbag. Yeah, I um, love it. That's his whole thing. He's like, I love how horny and evil the French are. I'm going to name myself after the ruling dynasty from the 15th century. Ha 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 ha. I hate my wife. Like, that's it. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, this makes perfect sense. Uh <laughs> One other question, though, because this idea of, like, what ultimately has to be saved here, um, I am curious what you all made of um, when Neo runs into, like, the elderly grandpa of the Zion Council, and they go down, they look at the machines at the heart of Zion. I love the concept of the architect, I do not like the specific way. This no, 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 no. Back no, in Zion, though. Back in Zion. Yeah, I don't remember so, anyone from Zion. Someone else answer this. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is when, like, yeah, this is, like, before they, like, depart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, hey, do you want to go for a walk? Oh, that and they guy. go down to kind of the underground machinery to marvel. Like, oh, the, we need these machines to survive. And yet, you know, sort of like, you know, as they also have a looming machine mm. threat. I forget some of the other things. You're making yeah. this post though. from an iPhone. That argument, I see. Um. Well, yeah, he's, he's, posing this, he's posing this argument of like, he's there sort of poking at Neo a little bit to mm. be like, what should victory look like? What should like, and it seems like, it seems like alone of the council, he is the person starting to wonder, like, is that like I think there's two things like are we kind of already kind of hypocrites for saying we're fighting the machines because once again we've reproduced the exact dependency 
uh, that sort of led us to uh, our fall before. But also he seems to have this like like as the Neo has brought the possibility of like final victory over the machines into view. He seems to have some discomfort over the idea of like and then we're going to kill them all. And that seems like my my read on on that scene is he's the first person to sort of put cast out there uh, the idea that's ultimately going to be key at the end of this, uh, that these two races now are inseparable um, Mm -hmm. and they can't survive without each other. And so what we need is sort of a reconciling, not a victory. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure the scene entirely works because mm-hmm. it's two guys just trying to think through something yeah. and, that and, they don't and know. The mo- and the movie like just never really it's it, like the biggest problem it, for me is like me sitting there being like, who is that guy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's that guy? <laughs> like, well, if, if only if even if any of that council had just been three people instead of, yes. you know, like, tw- you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They're, yeah. like, I mean, obviously the, mo- the movie sort of singles out this dude, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because he is constantly the sort of one that is kind of raising his hand and being, you know, like well, maybe Morpheus has a point or like maybe we're already fucked and we should think about like a Hail Mary pass. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I, you're right, Gita, that yeah. like but the sheer number of these people and like the limited screen time yeah. they get. But I, don't know, I just think the movies in general, even having rewatched them, you can see them trying to continually lay those seeds of like of th- these are a civilization that deserves to be protected or at least acknowledged in this struggle. Um, it doesn't really hammer that home until like the very end of, you know, revolutions like especially in the subway scene when you meet the family of programs being smuggled through and they have the conversation of like what is love what is connection um and like is that actually a human trait uh but it never makes it super explicit i mean it is, i guess mm-hmm. most of the most explicit it gets about it is like that love conversation and then well when the robot civilization chooses to assume a form in the outside in like the quote real world it makes a face um, it looks like a talks. big old baby. Uh, I love that. That's my favorite thing. I love it. I love it too, but I think <laughs> yeah. the movie really yeah. struggles. Like, there are all these things you can pick up on, as Rob has pointed out. Like, look, there's a lot of ways it's d- discussing the theme of that, but it really never spends enough time actually just saying yeah. explicitly at some point, like, hey, they have yeah. agency. The, and, you know what I mean? The like, strongest part of the original Matrix is that literally everyone says, hello, this is my name and this is my ideology. Right. So when Cypher shows up, the first thing that he says to Neo is, I bet you're thinking, you did. why didn't I take the blue pill? You understand exactly what this guy is about right here. And they do it in a very naturalistic way where it feels like Cypher's trying to get a read on this guy. And Neo is also trying to get a read on this guy. So they're kind of throwing out those evocative statements and and seeing their response. But then you understand completely that, no, this is the competing ideology to Morpheus's ideology. Here, this is another movie that's defined by the character's ideologies, but we still only have a strong understanding of Morpheus's ideology. We innately, because we spend an entire movie with this idea, understand the prophecy of the one. We don't. Right. And. Yeah. And. We are this is that's a really good point, because the thing is, we are also now imprisoned by Morpheus's ideology. Mm -hmm. These two movies are going to hinge on this idea of the programs are people. The Mm -hmm. Matrix is a world worth saving. Mm -hmm. The machines are a civilization uh, that deserves to be acknowledged. But I'm still back in Matrix One brand where I'm like, we got to get these fucking machines out yeah. of here and free well, humanity. And you still Smith, right? Like Smith, yeah. is, like the, the 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 vessel in which it explains 
the evilness of the Matrix is through Smith, and then it then cr- turns Smith into a supervillain. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that ends up that being a the plot you know the plot thread throughout the three movies it complicates the ability to like land at what we're discussing here yeah, because if, we- if because it still uses Smith constantly to explain like this is like every every you know forty five minutes like Smith is back to like so we can have another fight look Smith is evil and it's like oh right the Matrix is evil well the other parts of the movie were like no 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 like it's more complicated than that yeah well then put Smith out of the way for a little bit yeah so I can stop like emotionally going back to Smith equal Matrix equal bad Smith it really is a problem here because they use even though they set up this idea that Smith is his hatred of humanity is more extreme in that first movie. Movie, they they really do like they had used him as a representative of what the machines are and what the matrix are and like it really highlights the machines could delete them right yeah they could set it, they could get rid of them like the, the agents are looking at him like this guy's a little bit well office rocker yeah. so it doesn't seem really, like he stopped it highlights the huge issue with this transmedia approach because having seen the second renaissance i understand the f- final point of revolutions as being a truly just ending for both humans and machines Wait, is that another animatrix yes episode? and yeah, it's really second. good yeah. <laughs> it's like right. fantastic this is what and we're going to we're going to we're going to revisit these yeah. like yeah. there will be a people who are listening to this there will be a regular waypoint radio like monday episode where we like tease that up probably these, comes think, out before this hits this Maybe. Is, yeah, decent possibility. Yeah. Who, who's it, to know um, what the, the order of causality is going to be here? <laughs> well, causality. I think, so, but, so they, and I think this is why they bring out one of their, like, one of their best cards to play uh, to sort of, it's weird to say humanize because that's kind of the, the, not what's going on here. but Make you empathize. Um, yeah. I mean, they bring the Oracle back. Yes. And now they fully like make clear, which should have occurred to us. Like, who the fuck is the Oracle? But I'm so like in stories like this, I'm like, yeah, I, of course there's a, of course there's a wise, uh, you know, a wise hermit mm-hmm. uh, here here to guide people. I fully, I have for, no questions. Southside grandma, wise hermit. Just I fully right forgot, but like they don't, they don't mention that she's a program in the first one, right? No, no, they don't. Like, no, they don't. My, they, I just they like imply, knew that, and I yeah. assumed that at some point they mention it. Or implied it or something because I was like, wait, why are they talking about this now? Didn't we already know this? But no, they go into a whole thing about like, oh, wait, you're a program. I was like, I guess it was hinted at through like we talked about this before, how like they kind of coded things in green to symbolize the matrix and programs and stuff. And she was wearing green in that, in Mm -hmm. those first scenes in the first movie. The whole kitchen is green. Yeah. Like this green. Yeah. (laughs) But now in case there's any illusion, she becomes cyberpunk Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> Huge leather duster. <laughs> I do, you know, I love this character so much and I like that they give this actress so much more to do in what ends up being her final role. Yeah. Um, but also it it this is like when clearly audiences just start to get lost in the world building that is not fully formed or fully developed here. Because it it just like it it makes Absolute 100% sense. But again, because Smith is around, it's so hard to accept that a program would have ulterior motives or a program would have uh, goals that go against <clears throat> the world of the machines or even that 
any of these programs are like significant or powerful in the the civilization of the machines. Yeah. We just don't have any idea that there is a civilization of the machines because we keep seeing the mindless, horrible evil of Smith. And it is true, like Smith says that they tried to delete him, but they could, didn't take. But it's like Hugo Weaving saying words. It kind of just washes <laughs> over you. <laughs> you know, There's, you're just like, it's so great when he talks. What do you say? <laughs> yeah. There's absolutely part of it where like you're supposed to just understand that because the machines are sentient that 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 naturally there would be some deviance from like a whole like I'd like you know the what same way where because humans are sentient and like make choices there are different ideologies right mm-hmm. like I think you're supposed to kind of like make that leap but also just in case you didn't here's the animatrix we're going to show you the second renaissance where we tell yeah. you there's a whole civilization of them and like they are they are a new you know they are new people right they yeah. are- but it's not but, but like in, in some ways like like the fact that th- that's how you fill that narrative hole like yeah. speaks to now granted the matrix was probably like the earliest most successful like for all its flaws attempts to do this in a way that doesn't feel like totally commercially crass it feels more like hey these creators were given a huge blank check and they're like shit we have all these stories we could tell yeah. how are the different ways we could tell them yeah. and you know i think give it a big do over they would probably agree to do it differently too, in terms of how you how you counterbalanced all those things. It also would be easier to access those things right now than it was right. uh, mm-hmm. back then. Like um, me watching the it's, fucking it's, Animatrix on VHS, like after having seen both of the sequels and being like, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's all. I mean, it's also it, because the original Matrix doesn't actually do a ton of world building. No, like right. in the way that we talk, like these movies are predominantly world building yeah. with a plot thread running through it, yeah. which is like a lot of the problems that it runs into. Um, whereas opposed to that first movie, it builds a world, but again, that's part of why the, the original is so satisfying is because you can um, and immediately conceive like, oh, we don't need to hear any more after this. Like mm-hmm. you want to, like it's, oh man, this really sets up a lot of cool ideas, yeah. but it's just so tightly contained that yeah. it doesn't feel like it's bursting at those seams in that same way. Whereas this one is just, it feels like everything they were talking about over like drinks while writing the script for this. And then like, Oh shit. Like, okay. Like now is our time to I'm, get it all in. I'm never going to stop being mad about the fact that they're like, yeah, we come up with explanations for like deviant programs. Like every story you've heard about like werewolves or ghosts or, <laughs> uh, you know, all that shit's real. I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, hey, hold on. Yeah. You know, before you hook and the Matrix, can we can we get to this ghost thing? That we? rules. That like that being the extension of the deja vu thing is I I yeah. delighted that line but, as well. But then what we're actually gonna get is creepy twins. And <laughs> I'm like, this is less cool than I was hoping. Yeah, They're- it was way less cool. <laughs> I also got those two guys who are supposed to like the twist. <laughs> vampire coded, I guess, is what you could say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excuse me they're vampire coded <laughs> i love the twins i do think if you we should if everyone just dressed up as one of the twins for halloween and met up for a, a halloween party i salute you please do this i'm ready for a, the <laughs> twins revival i love them they're so weird like they are come back really maybe weird. you know can you you're allowed to spoil for me if in the new i'm not watching the new matrix uh <laughs> resurrections trailer but if they're in there you can tell me i will tell you <laughs> immediately i just feel like that aspect of this so another another thing that just made me sad a little bit is reloaded has so much going back into the matrix and everyone's wearing cool like leathered fetish gear 
And then Re- Revolutions does not have anyone jack in anymore. <laughs> and I'm obs- like, there's you don't get to see that anymore. And they set up in the second movie, they say literally, Monica Bellucci literally says, every time you've heard about aliens or werewolves or vampires, that's just a program doing something it's not supposed to. And I'm like, hell yes, aliens. Show me the aliens. Let's go to Area 51. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the implications God. are vast. I, I want to see all that stuff. And we only get to see it for that highway fight scene. And as cool as it is to watch the twins just sort of ghost around everywhere, it isn't like, so she promised me so much and I received <laughs> not enough. Look, she, you know, she would have said anything to get that little smooch. Uh, <laughs> she, she just needed to keep baiting those hooks. Can I just uh, say in the second <sighs> movie, the dress Monica Bellucci wears, you just see two entire breasts. Like, it just is incredible. Again, you're only just underscoring what are the things that, you know, 13-year-old Patrick remembered from this film. And wow. he, remembered, he remembered two things, and they were attached to Monica Belushi. <laughs> oh, my God. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, <clears throat> so, here, here's the thing. Like, I can, I can, the thing that probably I was shocked that my feelings changed as much about it is I remember in the theater just being worn out by like, cause the, I forgot. I also forgot that the highway scene itself is long, but mm-hmm. it's just an extension of the brawl that breaks out at the mayor Virgin's club. Right. Yeah. It goes straight from the Chateau fight into the highway fight into this. Like it's a half hour chase scene. It, it's an incredible tour de force, but it's like, they could have just not put any other fight scenes in the movie, you know, after right. that. Yeah. And that's, and so like, all hell breaks loose, and this go. And I think this is what got me. I think the reason, I, the real reason, I didn't like The Matrix Reloaded is like it whipped so many concepts at me that until I saw the third movie, like I didn't really like have any context for them. I think that's the other thing that I enjoyed more this time is I do have context now, and I can sort of see where this is going. But seeing it in the theater, all the stuff was being whipped at me. It seemed like sort of Matrix, like concept stuff, uh, Mad Libs almost. And then just an endurance test of a fight scene, just hammering at you in in a theater. And here it was, um, I don't know, my feelings are completely changed. I think it's also that, see, like... It is so rare to see fights and chases like this at the yes. scale and this quality anymore yes. that like there's a nostalgic element of like, does the movie need this? No. Do I need this now in 2021? Yes. yes. As an <laughs> emotional sense, I just, oh. I, it made me really think, like really sit and think about Marvel films. I watched, I rewatched Avengers for a different story recently. And as those fight scenes just don't hit in the same way that these ones do. No. You know, we, they don't hit at all. Like even the really good ones, like the elevator fight from the Winter Soldier, like that, there's not the same sense of bodies moving and impacts being felt that you can see in this film. And there's not as much of a, I mean, people stop talking in these fight scenes is the really remarkable thing. Is that when <laughs> when Lawrence Fishburne and the agent are fighting on top of that truck, neither of them speak. They just tell a story in punches. And you don't get that sense from fight scenes. I think the closest thing that comes to this is the big initial chase scene in Fury Road, right? 
where people are no longer talking, but you kind of understand the stakes here. And it's really thrilling to just interpret a story through moving images without having someone explain to you what's happening. You know, it, it the sense of, and you see that they love making films in this, you know, you see yeah, how much yeah. they love movies. They love movies and they want people to feel as excited as they do watching this film. And I, even the Burly Brawl, which I think probably if I was going to play script doctor, I'd put everything with Oracle and shit happening before the train sequence in the re- in Revolution Soap in that movie. And then I would tighten up the battle scenes uh, for the Zion battle for Zion stuff. Uh, like, I just feel like because you have so much fight happening here, you don't need the Burly Brawl and in, in Reloaded. You just don't. It, it distracts from what is the real spectacle here, which is this half an hour sequence of just no one speaking and just punching. It takes a lot of work. I don't know. I was uh, I read a little bit also from uh, Bill Pope, a cinematographer on this film, was talking on uh, last year. He was on the Team Deacons podcast. Roger Deacons has a podcast. Mm. He said that shit. I know. I got to listen to this immediately. Well. (laughs) Uh, he said that it was a 264 day shoot, 276 day shoot as DP. And he said it was, yeah. Can you imagine a 276 day shoot? And then you're done. Like that's just grueling on the casting crew. Well, straight into therapy. Yeah. Right. Like you, your body's just defeated. He said that there was a lot of bitterness and personal conflict on set and you can see it in the film. And I, you, you definitely can't see it on the film. You know, you can see that there's script problems and that there's motivations aren't clear and that you can see like a weariness near the end on all the actors faces and like you feel it too. But when the movie is working on all cylinders, it, it really works. It really, really, really works. And this fight scene is, I don't know. It, the I like The Matrix most also. I'm rambling. <laughs> but I like The Matrix most when it's a, it, it pays tribute to the kung fu films that it's clearly inspired by. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> well, Especially mean, because like by the third movie, yeah. like, really? We're also just doing kung fu? And like, not because it doesn't look, look cool. It obviously always looks badass. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, it at some point becomes kind of funny that like, <laughs> So many of the fights look like this because yeah. they just like the way it looks. Yeah. Like, it's never really explained, like, why is everyone so fucking obsessed with fighting? Like, they're coming out of, like, a Hong Kong action film. The, yeah. the introduction I, of Seraph, I was just like, no. No. <laughs> I, I, can't, I have yeah. to draw a line somewhere, and it's this guy. Seraph is just the kung fu capture program, obviously. Here, he's like, look, identify a bus. It's what he's saying. It's just like you never... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that. That's the one part where I was like, I can't with this. I just can't. Where where mm-hmm. where he's believe, like, you don't know somebody until you be, fought them. I believe that was supposed to be Jet Li. Yeah, um, mm. originally. And then I was reading an article recently where, like, he was asked about why he 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 passed on. Like, he he had signed up to do it, and then or was close to signing up. And then there was something about like they wanted to scan. Yeah. Like virtually scan like a bunch of his movements. He like makes it sound like they were going to cr- assemble a library, a capture yes. library of his of his moves. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's the part where he pieced out because yeah, he's like, these are mine. Like yeah. this is like be like you know it's the same way that we, you know understandable skepticism over like reproducing acting through you know uh, you know dead actors through computers. Like sounds like this was an early version yeah. of that. It's like oh so you're going to hire me 
digitize me and then go do whatever you want with me without actually asking me to do it on set. And he was like, yeah, fuck that. I'm, yeah. I mean, Fortnite will tell us that he was probably right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but like now seeing it, the fight that breaks out at the Merovingian's club, like the cool stairway, the, oh the, the, the two stairways lead up to the balcony and just the, the, the confidence to just let the camera sit back yeah, and just let it go. Like that is that is when you know that you have choreographed something beautiful and everyone needs to see every aspect of it. And it's got those two modes of like there's him beating the shit out of everybody. But then there's the final like we're going to send the last guys in for some one on one action. And then you can ask me, all right, it's going to get like now here's the final boss of this fight. Neo fucking waxes that dude. Yeah. And Merovingian is just like, I'm I'm gone. Peace. Uh, God. And then in the background of all this, you've got. This, uh, well, I think here, it, it, as wild as all this is, I'm not sure the Merovingian is interesting, as interesting as he is just like incredible camp. Because, like, we have all seen where he's like sort of just chatting through what his whole deal is. I don't remember it very well. No, I mostly remember he's like, he's like, I gave that woman a cake and she's going to have an orgasm right now. I must, yeah. excuse me, I yeah. must go to the bathroom and service this woman. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, cool, love it, great. Um, but then we go to the escape of Trinity and uh, and Morpheus as they are trying to get out of this club. And it's it's like... Neo is in this martial arts film film in this part of the in in this in this sequence, but they are in this sort of like modern Hollywood action epic uh, mm-hmm. over in their world, starting in this parking garage and heading into this car chase and the whole thing of like never go on the highway. Uh, it turns out turns out the human resistance has a different has another prime directive in addition to when you see an agent run it's don't go on the highway there's gotta be a good scene between the clueless scene and the scene from this movie about not going on the highway right Mm. there's gotta be a midpoint Mm. here Mm. i feel like there is i feel this way about driving normally in the normal world so this was like they go never go on the highway and i'm like yeah it makes sense you never go there. You're in a bullet and you're around other bullets. Like, just don't go there. Something that I don't like, I don't know. Like, I do not know enough about the shooting of this. Um, I don't know enough about like how stunts like this are accomplished. I will just say it felt to me like I felt speed more concretely in the yeah. scene that I do in a lot of yeah. films. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of like, it feels like there's a lot of chase sequences or like car stunts you see on film where they can't disguise the fact that all of this is happening on cars that are doing like a steady 20 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, many of which are probably being towed. Um, and you're just not, you're just not in it uh, that way. And it just doesn't have any sense of like the dynamism of mm-hmm. holy shit, these are cars on a road and they're doing all the stuff. You know what really here, helped for me here? Yeah. Sound design. The sound design is cartoony and over the top. So when a car, like uh, in the when the ghost comes back and he's got that knife and he keeps trying to slit the keymaker's throat, you can hear the the knife whipping around in like a really over the top and cartoony way. 
But it doesn't feel cartoony because your brain understands it's helping you keep track of the knife. You know, it's helping you keep track of each time the knife is swung. It's useful, helpful information. So it doesn't feel like unnecessary or over the top. Here in the car scene, every time they keep, they cut more frenetically in this scene. And they cut, you know, especially compared to the Chateau fight, where they do really lean back and let you see a lot more of the the fight as it happens as sort of a stage play. So as soon as they get in the cars, they start cutting. Every time the wheel is turned and she's weaving through cars, they cut from the to the exterior of the car and they show you that motion. And then you see the interior of the car and the characters reacting to it. There's a very strong sense of the camera needs to show each individual motion of each character, including the cars as characters here. And you hear, you know, because you also hear the rubber and the other cars going by and honking horns, the sound design creates a very strong sense of like, oh, the other people on the road are reacting to this too. This is helping you keep track of the motion and the movement of each car. It's a very well shot scene. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the, the, the sound design point is important because I think that is one of the big differences between like, yes, there's a sense of physicality and but I think some of the a lot of the physicality comes from the sound design of yeah. the Matrix movies. So yeah. Like yes, it's it, it, you do see like a guy punch, you know, like a tile like in that great Morpheus and Smith fight scene in mm-hmm. in, in in the original. But I do think over and over like if when you watch, you know, using the Marvel movies as a touchstone like they like the the sound design of those films often because they're dealing with gods like is is downplayed because everything is kind of like a ping whereas like mm-hmm. every hit in a matrix movie even when they are dealing with gods it feels like gods are are punching with the strength of a god and you feel it <laughs> mm-hmm. um in a way that like it is extended all throughout the sound design i think the sound design sound design is like something really hard to understand because it's kind of esoteric and hard to pin down exactly what mm-hmm. that means but like i think your point about the knife and then that makes me think of like how a punch lands mm-hmm. in these movies like it's how they're able to make stuff feel physical in, in a way that we just don't see in a lot of like modern blockbuster yeah. filmmaking because either because it's not prioritized yeah. or or they're purposely going for a different aesthetic. They do and foley for the fist moving through air. You know, they do foley for the fist hitting the chest. Everything about it you will be able to hear. It's a fully sonic and sensory experience. Kato, sorry I cut you off. No, it's fine. Uh I was just like uh also they have fun with it as as noted by the fucking bowling pin sound during the 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 brawl where he throws yeah. one smith into a bunch of other smiths yeah. and suddenly you get a fucking strike sound There's i fucking like laughed a... my ass off i was like that's amazing like they're just going I... for it like you know yeah yeah i love <laughs> knowing that filmmakers of creators are like having a fun time yeah. like, the burly yeah. brawl i don't want to get rid of because I feel like everybody had a lot of fun thinking about how that would play out. Uh, the other thing also in you, this... Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, also we get the fucking ridiculous uh, Smith line during that fight where he makes another yeah. him of... Another one of himself where he's saying, me, me, me. And then once he takes over oh the God. other person, he goes, me too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He's fully uh, unhinged. I watched an entire movie of Agent Smith just turning everyone into himself. I love it. Um, <laughs> it's just like, you've been Jokerified. You've been yeah. Jokerified. You're all going to turn into me. You're me. You're me. <laughs> Look so, under your seat. You're me. <laughs> I guess the other thing about the, the highway ch- the scene, too, is it has like these movements of like, there's the car chase. Mm-hmm. There, uh, There is... 
sword cars. There is yeah. there is Morpheus fighting cars with swords. Oh my god! There I love is. It. I love it. There's the duel mm-hmm. where yeah. the agent now is driving the semi. There's fight on top of semi. There's rescue car chase and there's motorcycles. Like it is just they keep just like tweaking what the scene is and like mm-hmm. going into a different like car chase fight sequence concept and each time it's like well this no way could this get more awesome and then <laughs> lordy b it does yeah i love the story they tell with morpheus and his sword right where I, there's just so many little narratives going on here it doesn't surprise me at all to learn that bill pope was also a dp for a couple of um Edgar Wright movies and more of his physical ones, right? Because they have that same quality to their fight scenes of their storylines going on within within the fight scene. So there's this whole story of Morpheus and his sword, where he cuts the semi and like makes you know, you know, cuts a, cuts a tra- cuts a car in half and then makes it explode. But then in order to escape the agent, he has to throw his sword uh, and has to use it to in order to save the key maker he has to use his sword to balance on by stabbing into the side of the semi to a jean-claude van damme and then he's trapped on top of the truck and you like understand suddenly all the stakes are different now if he had a samurai sword he could have probably gotten that agent a lot easier but he has to create distance now because the agent has the advantage over him until this amazing like such a satisfying shot of him on the ground beneath the agent, he turns his head and there's the fucking sword. And you're just like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> like it just feels good. Like it, it, it's a satisfying thing to give someone an object to have, like a, in the short term, give something a, a viewer, a really tangible object that creates and changes stakes depending on where it is. I just wanted to point out because after you mentioned that uh, uh, Bill Pope had you know done stuff with Edgar Wright, like first thing I thought was like, oh, he must have done Scott Pilgrim, mm-hmm. which of course he did. Mm-hmm. But then also, uh, what's fascinating is that he was also the director of photography on the one like I brought this up in the last one, Shang Chi, the one MC movie. Yeah, like try tries to like make this and like largely successfully within the format that the MCU has, like mm-hmm. m- like actually like land punches and uh, uh, and. Like the fact that he was the director of photography on that, Not which is interesting because it also says director of ph- photography as William Pope. So I think he just <laughs> recently decided to stop going by Bill Pope. You know like, what? I'm older now. I'm William. It's William, bitches. <laughs> uh, like show some respect. <laughs> just he must have had that moment on a set where someone's like, "Hey, Bill," and he has the moment of like, "Oh, I'm not Bill to you. I'm William. <laughs> Excuse you. I am William." We're t- let's, can we sell as merch just uh, It's William Bitches t-shirts I feel like we deserve this so, Also this CVM like shit I really do need to wa- see Alita Battle Angel Oh my uh, god it's do. so good Great movie. It's Great so movie. good Great movie. Uh, It's unfair how good That movie is it's fucked up Saw that in theaters with Tim Rogers Anyway going on Um, And like I also Love the by the skin Of their teeth like Niobe entering this fight in the middle of this thing, uh-huh. like the payoff of like, yes, Niobe really is this cool mm-hmm. of her just launching, uh, like even as Neo is trying to streak into the middle of this, uh, doing a Superman thing. She's also a missile approaching this, this target, yes. uh, as she sort of swoops in to bail Morpheus out. Uh, it's gotcha. incredible. I love it. I, love I, her. I, I don't think that character works without 
Jada Pinkett Smith, yeah. though, or like the right, like that character is so wildly underwritten. Yeah. Um, is given absolutely nothing to work with beyond like this awkward love triangle. Like, like how, how does she feel in relation to this guy she used to fuck and the new guy she's fucking? Yeah. But she also thinks like, like, but also seems is, to have no romantic chemistry with Harry Lennox whatsoever. Ex- and exactly. no, like, it's like, the, like, no, Harry she's, Lennox she's doesn't feel like he has sex, you know? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Like he was, he's, talk, he's talking about like the bat, like the defenses he needs to set up while they're having sex. And yeah. she's like, are you done? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's and, what it feels like but, to me. <laughs> Whereas, but she just does. She does a lot with her face oh. in in both of. The, she gets a lot more to work with in the in, in revolutions. Yeah. But but like in this movie, she's given very little other than like what's on her face, and she does a lot with a little. And like that sequence, especially yeah. when she shows up on the highway and is like, "I'm here to save your ass." Like well, she, really, I heard what the line she says, yeah. or like, "Go get." It was basically "Go get him, tiger." But like, it really, a much more like, badass version of that. Like she's, um, she's doing a foxy brow. Like she understands like a major component of the Matrix movies is also black exploitation, and so like you mm-hmm. can just. In the 70s, you could just be a hot black woman that said things in a cool black way. And she's sort of like, okay, everything I say needs to have the feeling of being a catchphrase a little bit, right? So it's just, you can, it it really works because she understands like how, what she is supposed to do with a very small amount of screen time that she has. It it doesn't work without her. It doesn't at all. Also, it just does cement my view also that like her powers wax and wane depending how close to a Naomi cut she's wearing. Yes. Um, yes. Like as as Jada Pinkett Smith approaches Naomi Cut, her power is just it's like Samson. It's just like, oh no, where did you go? Yeah. And then like as she wears her hair out, just stronger and more charismatic yeah. and powerful yeah. in all films. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's something because like having just gone through like the Gotham period and mm-hmm. all this, I'm like, man, I don't remember like why we liked this actor so much. Mm-hmm. And then I watched this. And I'm like, God, she was amazing. She was amazing. She yeah. is like a casualty of like Hollywood sexism. I have to say she's so fucking talented. And it's Will who's out here talking about how he had sex so much. It made him throw up every time he had an orgasm. <laughs> like, Come on, yeah, release yeah, Gina Pinkett, yeah. please. <laughs> God. Well, at least she's in the new one, right? So yeah. she's, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. To see see her again oh, me too i want she needs a career revival she is yeah the so red table ain't cutting movie. It. yeah i i feel uh, you on that no <laughs> the, the red table is more like this should be like yeah get up from the red table like mm-hmm. put some things together and get out of this <laughs> um so here's the other thing in even having just watched this movie I I barely remember what follows the highway fight. And certainly in my memory of The Matrix Reloaded, that was the end of the film. Yep. <laughs> no. Uh, no. Turns out we're doing the whole heist. Yeah. Oh my God. Also, so we skipped the thing earlier occur. that yeah. is important that we should mm-hmm. probably mention because it sets up things for later movies. Uh, we learned that fucking Smith can enter human. Oh, yeah, right. Bane. Yeah. Yeah. Like we see Bane multiple times try to like in 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 Zion like kind of almost but not quite gets to killing Neo <laughs> in a few well, but moments. I, the, the, the fact that we know that Smith is not made explicit, we just it just seems like oh, it's I mean, explicit. no, it is, it is. He, we see Bane he, die. Yeah, like, we he see. Make it out of the Matrix we see Smith. Smith in the very first scene. Smith goes into Bane in the Matrix, and then he comes out and like, um. Wait, am I mixing up where he does the actual no. killing thing? No, no, he yeah, kills him one. in the Matrix in the in the first scene. Bane, they're trying to get the warning out. Yeah, 
And then, um, when do we see him next? Don't we see him? No, we see him we at see the him trying to stab Neoni as they get to the ship. Right. I'm just, I don't think it's made explicit that like, Hey, like Smith is like, cause it's made such he, a big well, deal when like, he's like the character starts talking. Like that's, you know, that's true. this is what I'm saying. Like that's it. It's, I know, but that doesn't happen until I, they need really, to give, really late. Like some kind of special award to that guy for best. Hugo Incredible. I was rooting <laughs> yeah. and hollering. Yeah. Really? Every time he's I got on up speed. on my chair. <laughs> he's amazing. Like what a I good just, fucking uh, well, uh, Hugo Weaving impression he and does! Everyone, it's like fucking and dead because on. Because everyone had just spent four years doing those impressions of Hugo Weaving, and it's right. like, no, no, let's no. see a pro do it. Yeah, yeah, really, really. It's like all of you were just pretenders to the <laughs> level of like channeling uh, that a, that a trained actor. And can it's do. not even just asking him to do a couple lines. It's like, no, you're going to do like a solid fifteen minutes <laughs> yeah. like, with this voice. Yeah. It's incredible. It's amazing. It it's- is so audacious. Like I, I can't even imagine the actor being told. God, so here's you know here's your scene. There's like oh so they're like gonna add the voice in post like mix in my voice with his like no, no. you're just gonna no 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 no. <laughs> so you know you know how you see over like if we're in this room this is where the actors uh, are doing their like training for martial arts the next six months in this room you're gonna spend the next six months working on your <laughs> Hugo weaving in this room is Hugo weaving enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> You and Mr. Weaver are going to meet every morning for coffee and, you know, work on your voices. Uh, And God, it it is such a down to the sort of the elongated, like pausing to think and consider as Mm -hmm. he talks. Like, it's just incredible. Um, But this what they what they're doing is the the entire thing is they need to uh, enter. Sorry, this all gets very this all gets very Matrix mumbo jumbo for me. Like I understand conceptually, mm-hmm. we got to get Neo to the place. Yeah, the source, baby. The source. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Not really sure what that is. Never really explained what that means. Well, it kind of seems like it, by the end of the movie, they crash into an arbitrary building. It just happens to be where they need to be. It. Uh, you like know, the I mean, the implication there is just because people under like hopefully remember that like source code is a thing right it is like the yeah. the the origin the the kind of like bottom layer of like what controls things kind of you know like uh in a computer program so like i think yeah. we're supposed to kind of assume it's something like that for the matrix right yeah um the big problem though with the end of this scene and the end of the burly brawl is just sort of like the fight scenes don't have conclusions. They stop because Neo arrives. And that really just halts the momentum so quickly. It's hard for me to remember the series of events here because the fight just kind of ended because Neo came. And then it, it all stopped. Like the momentum just completely crashes to a halt. Yeah. And then they, they well, they, they, they're setting up this whole like heist of we're going to have to do an a really violent Ocean's Eleven style takedown of this like hyper secure building in the Matrix. Yeah. Um, and it's going to take all three of the captains working together to get it done. Um, but ultimately, this thing's really going to hinge on Neo having the key, the, the key maker lead him through the what, what do they call the little forest of doors? Um, like the little hallways. Neo just refers to them as back doors at one point, which is another like kind of nebulous hacker term for yeah. like a way to enter uh, a program that was left there by an original coder. Uh, but like I think there's, I think they also call it 
uh, one of the operators calls it like a portal or something. But basically, the operators, which can usually see the Matrix from their little screens, like see the code of the Matrix and yeah. kind of track their their teammates, can't see them when they're in that when space. When they go backstage, yeah, yeah they, they disappear, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, like it is, a lot of stuff begins to happen here at the end, but it <laughs> yeah. is less, uh, like, it, it, it feels, like major things are happening off screen, for instance, like the fact that Bane... Like Harry, like Harry Lennox's character is like, I'm not putting my trust in the one. We're gonna do what I know works, which is we're gonna bomb the uh, machine drill drills uh, with EMPs, and all those machines will be sort of piled up near there, and we'll devastate them uh, and buy ourselves time, or even win uh, that way. And off screen, like we learned that, uh, you know, that didn't work out. That someone detonated the EMP too early, and all the ships that went were mm-hmm. lost. Um. And then here we're going to have like multiple sites have to be taken down to eliminate the defenses around the source. Uh, one of the crews that went on this mission is killed. Um, like the machines find them and like destroy their ship before they can complete their mission. And so Trinity has to like go into the exact situation that Neo foresaw where she would be killed um, in order to open his passage to the source. And the exact thing that we saw happens, uh, she is, um, she, she like salvages the mission. She is killed uh, by an agent. And Neo goes and meets not Donald Sutherland. There's two people in this movie who appear to be different people. One is Monica Bellucci, uh, like just being Isabella Rossellini, and it bothers me. Uh, and here, <laughs> We have uh, Helmet. Uh, uh, Will Ferrell, I believe, is the actor. God damn um, it. In this uh, scene. Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he is. He, you'll never convince me that this is not secretly Donald Sutherland. Uh, even though I'm looking here on IMDb, uh, you'll never you'll you'll never make me believe it. But he meets Colonel uh, Sanders. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> William Pope. Um, as he is, is now called, is just so good at shooting people that it you can convince you it's other people. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it it really is remarkable. I remember the the Will Ferrell parody of this so strongly. Yeah, so strongly. Back when the MTV Movie Awards were like such a big deal. Yeah, I know. Even though they were very stupid, but <laughs> yeah. it, I know it, I, I love them, anyway. them so much. We but they don't did funny see- skits. <laughs> they did. They did do fun. It was yeah. Yeah. This was a pre YouTube like, world. It was like SNL aimed at teenagers. Yeah. It. Um. I love this scene still, even though it is a very like freshman level philosophy class. But I feel like that level of smut. That's why I love it yeah. though, right? Yeah. Because because it is it, it is the it is the the movie, especially in a film as we were talking as the point you had made earlier of like, hey, man, this movie these movies rarely slow down to like talk about. Like the like the philosophies of what's going on, they're like the first movie sneaks like snakes that into the dialogue mm-hmm. and like it's it's in the theme like it's everywhere and so it's just pervasive in the plot and mm-hmm. the, in the themes. Whereas this these movies are all over the place and here it's just like hey, we're just gonna lock these characters in a room and just it's it's an exposition. It's framed as an what would normally be an exposition dump and that is happening, but. In, in a way that is also explaining an underlying philosophy that mm-hmm. is is setting up a, like a lot of the broader themes mm-hmm. of the trilogy as a whole, but it's yeah. explicitly these these two movies. So I, I, 
I remember as as a kid being taken by the aesthetics mm-hmm. and like look at this like teacher drone out on me. Yeah. And I don't know, I had a better appreciation for it this time. Yeah. Um watching it. Um uh, yes, you're you, right, it's philosophy one oh one, but also in a movie that has such heady subtext. At some point someone needed to sit down and be like all right. By the way. Just going to kind of say the shit that's yeah. going on here a little bit. And I feel like it works, honestly, in terms of tone, too, because the architect as a character, like, feels like a character because this feels like a deliberately smug way of just, you know, giving this information. So the first Matrix movie is built so strongly around this twist of what is the Matrix. It's clear that they inevitably felt like this movie also had to have some kind of twist. But I do like the idea of the prophecy being something that they planted yeah. in the world and something yeah. that's yeah. not so real. Much, it's so much better than an actual prophecy. Like, yeah. And especially, like, given that both these movies are about, like, giving meat to the idea that there are people who don't believe in what Morpheus like Morpheus is like uh, like unshakable faith yeah and like this scene explains like yeah actually yeah. <laughs> uh oh Morpheus yeah, yeah. Where well, I mean he's like, right uh, but uh, in, a, in a different way than in I a think. different Uh-oh. way <laughs> yeah you know it, it, it I feel like it's one of those scenes where if they'd had more time to work on these scripts if this wasn't like a grueling 276 day shoot they would have been able to foreground the themes that arise in this scene right or i feel like there's the tiniest bit during the oracle scene right yeah because the, those characters are very connected yeah the 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 the, the like the, the oracle brings up the idea of uh making choices and understanding your choices right yeah the idea of like where does what free is will, it she says like what yeah, she says specifically you know, uh, he asks, how can I make a choice if you already know what I'm going to do? And she says something like, you didn't come here to know what choice you're going to make. You came here. You have already made the choice. Yeah. You came here to decide, to understand why you make the choice. Yeah. And that immediately gets lost in the burly brawl. Just immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right, right. And then like, like that has a, a strong kind of through line to the stuff that the Merovingian starts talking about where they start talking about causality, right? Like what, mm-hmm. how things like, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> exist in linear time, but like yeah. whether or not choice, like, you know, is breaking that sort of like causal, mm-hmm. uh, 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 thinking. And those themes again, then there's another fight, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Oh yeah. wait, uh, there's a, there is a theme here about the idea of free will. And, uh, if, uh, you know, like your subconscious has already made the decision before to move your arm before you move your arm sort of ideas of like, well then where is the, where's the impetus of that thought coming from? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then also like, I think kind of metatextually the architect scene is really interesting. Like, when you're talking about like ideologically what a system will allow the idea Mm -hmm. that there's a certain amount of counterculture that is okay. That makes it makes a certain, uh, population feel like oh yeah change is happening man like we're but really the the system can exist with a certain amount of error in it right yeah the (laughs) idea that the people need to choose to buy into the system even if they don't consciously know that they're making that choice right where there has to be an option for a counterculture it's just you have to keep that counterculture under control you have to make it is is it a counterculture if it's been accounted for right (laughs) yeah right Right. you know and like that's very very true about capitalism right you know the aesthetic of opposing capitalism is already a part of capitalism culture. Mr. B 
Beast just did this <laughs> Squid Game video where he just literally recreates Squid Game, like having people who are desperate for money dance for his amusement and the amusement of other people. It's 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 the Max Fisher came up with this idea of just sort of capitalism is so encompassing that it can it can also include it critiques of itself as a system because you can commodify those. Uh, and that's here, like what is being described. I yeah. feel like um, the exposition scene that, that Morpheus does in the first Matrix movie does a much better job of implanting this ideology in the characters and in the viewers' minds because it shows you literally what's happening. But I do feel like there's one portion of that scene where it shows the architect from a side, from a profile view, and the screens behind him describe what's happening. And I feel like that is when they wish they lean more into that aspect here. Because again, explaining how the the prophecy is fake lands so much stronger when you can see all these other different Neos having the same reaction. Oh, I love yeah, that, that shit. Yeah. Just a sinking also, in the like pit of your stomach of like, yeah. oh shit, you've done this a thousand times. Yeah, to be clear, yeah, it's not that yeah. the fucked it up. It's not that the prophecy is fake. It's that the prophecy is built into the system, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. prophecy is there in order to make this thing happen. Where the prophecy they still reset. serves the matrix. Yeah. Exactly. And then, yeah. th- which um, I think it's also like, do we do we believe that this has happened six times already? Right? Like. I How do. much? Yes, like, oh, yeah. it's a, so it's 100%. actually been six hundred years. Yeah, because this the is why, fucking... like, the fact that the fact that Morpheus says we don't know what year it is. Yeah, I think I think yep. that is the gun going on the wall <laughs> of like it's yeah. weird that like I, I understand her history gets murky in sort of a situation like this where a lot of the signposts are removed, but like they don't know what year it is and they don't know where they stand in relation to the war between the humans and the machines. Mm-hmm. And so I think here is like, this is how they get lost in that. Right. Because any sort of sense of contiguous history would reveal the fact that they're trapped in a loop. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so for them, it is always them emerging from some vague fog mm-hmm. of being in the matrix. Did you guys notice also just, so it's 2003, right? And they're showing uh, all, all the evils of humanity in that sort of profile shot where you can see the, the television screens turned into exposition shit uh so you see hitler in there and you see war did you guys see george w bush <laughs> yeah yep. he's definitely in there right uh of course you know at the time i would have thought that yeah. was too on the nose but now i'm like yeah that's about right you know th- th- uh, presumably like this was shot in 2000 Two mm-hmm. right and, and you know has post production for X amount of time and 2003 is long enough like I'm sure all those shots were added mm-hmm. in in post that like there like enough movement was happening yeah, yeah. like you know as the patriotism fell from at least some people's eyes <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that yeah. you could you could put but uh, you know that's also it's actually you pointed that out I was like it's kind of shocking yeah and even something like that makes it into a, like a studio blockbuster like, like I remember not, 2003 it was a real jingoistic time you not, yeah again yeah. like it would it was not kosher to, to to even acknowledge that even in 2003 when it was already clear like things were going to go completely off the rails like, for that to even be there is I don't know like even, kind of caught me off guard even now trying to explain to people that the Iraq war was a fallacy and that George W. Bush is a war criminal you you do come up to people who have resist the idea of an American president doing any kind of crime on that scale but he did yeah. <laughs> he did do it like, they all lied to us <laughs> that's just true we know it now Gita, Gita is trying to be the architect listen, and just no one now the welcome listen. to Gita hates the Iraq war <laughs> Part one uh, of 400. My new YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. 
a 60 part series. Yes. It, Gita explains it all, but it's actually just the same thing. Yes, exactly. Each, each and it episode. all comes back to you. It's fucking Iraq so War. So I know I've been saying I want to move on to another topic, but it turns out I still hate that Iraq War. <laughs> and uh, another thing. It's like me. So I also love that. So as he's posing this deal to Neo, Neo sort of realizes like, wait, though, you're kind of over a barrel, too. You need me to accept this or the entire game ends and you lose your matrix. You lose your human battery farms like Mm -hmm. you're fucked, too. And the architects like sort of icy, pissed off like response of there are levels of survival we are willing to accept. (laughs) And also but also the falseness of that where it's Mm -hmm. like, no, but you're not. You're not like the machines want their treats and their treats are big, juicy human batteries yeah. <laughs> that they can just continue to live their best machine lives uh, like with. Here you start to understand the distinction between the needs of the machines as a collective and the needs of individual programs. It's something I noticed a lot more in this uh, mm-hmm. this watch, this viewing of these two movies. The architect has levels of survival that he's willing to accept because he doesn't like humanity and is disgusted by them. Other programs and machines as a whole, they have now been to the land of plenty and they don't want to go. Yeah. Also, right. you know, as, as, as it's explained, there's a hierarchy. The architect's probably, there's some backup batteries. Yeah. Know? Like, yeah. You know, he's good. <laughs> well, and, and also, guys yeah, to clear up. You yep. can argue that, like, to a degree, so, so the machines were a revolutionary force that rise up against their masters and, like, like achieve their own liberation and then turn around and, like, enslave humanity. But... We're a long ways away from there. It's been a long time since the machines were like an insurgent force, right? And and so to an extent you have here as well, the we would really prefer if the stable equilibrium just continued forever. Uh, I mean, pres- because presumably at this point we're looking at like a, as Kato mentioned, like a time scale of thousands of years that yeah, like right. this cycle at the very least six hundred. Who knows yeah. what happened before like, that? Yeah. What closer does it to mean? a thousand like, than than we we previously thought? Yeah, is it just like the machines? Like there are fewer of them, and they're just like sort of hanging out, like existing, but like they can't do very much because not enough juice to go around. Is an interesting thought of like, well, what's the quality of life for the machines? Not just the programs in the Matrix, but like all them little robots we see in the Machine City. Yeah, and, when you, shit, yeah, and you like, only see them at the very end, right? Like that's why I desperately wish. I know. At any point in this film, like it had just even even a couple of minutes where like. When you know, uh, you know, Neo and Trinity are like hurtling towards. If when you so see that Animatrix. city, when you see when you see they can. Go, I know, I know. I watched the Animatrix, but I'm saying like when they when they can go straight and they can go right, and you mm-hmm. see up ahead, like you see these towering. They're like, if if just like, hey, let I don't know, let's go see what's up in those those skyscrapers. Like, what the hell is going on over there? If they could have, hey, what's up, for, little bug men? Yeah, <laughs> for five minutes, or like if if Neo had just like touched one of the bugs and got like a flash of of like, just what was there, what yeah. was happening, like even just thirty seconds, like a Titan, just a, just a, a thirty minute animated short done by <laughs> Studio Ghibli, where that Neo and Trinity sort of enter the machine world and see the world as they see it, and they're just daily mm. pleasures, just mm. rendered in such mm. perfect detail. Uh, just just a little taste, just a little also, morsel. I love that fucking the the fact that all of the machines look like bugs is kind of a, a very to me a very funny nod to Carson uh, Carson Carson. This is uh, how, yeah. do you, how do you pronounce Car- that fucking Carsonation, word? I think 
carcination where like yeah. multiple different lines of evolution have led to things being crabs totally yeah. separately without machines a common ancestor. Crabs. Yeah, the yeah. machines, the machine, even though like in the animatrix you see the machines and they're all like based off human bodies and stuff because you know we're mm-hmm. creating them like mm-hmm. as they start making themselves they all turn further and further into buggy squid like things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but the the thing that is going to tilt it here. The reason this Neo isn't going to make the same decision is that Trinity is dying. And if he doesn't get out of there and get to her, she's done. And that's sort of the new variable in the system. And so he chooses the, uh, the third option that supposedly doesn't exist, uh, that, that he's never chosen before to go and rescue Trinity. Um, we'll talk about this in a second. Like let the hold this thought. Cause I actually have questions about, where this leaves the Oracle and all this. And I want to revisit that when we next see her in the last movie. But from here, it's, it's pretty straightforward. He goes, he does the savior thing. He reaches inside Trinity's uh, chest to like restart her heart uh, using his one powers in the matrix. Um, And then like in the real world, as they escape their crashed ship, uh, we discover that he has one powers now outside the matrix that as they are being hunted down by uh, sentinels, he is able to sort of uh, use the force and just like drop them all where they, where they stand. But this power also exhausts him and he enters like a, a coma uh, and is sort of recovered uh, by the crew of logo. Another ship. Is it Niobe? Yeah. More guys. Just some new, some new guys on a ship. Right. And he like sort of we, we get to the end with uh, the attempt to stop the, the digging in on Zion has failed, but they've recovered one survivor from that. And he's in the infirmary with Neo. It's Bane. It's Bane. Uh, <laughs> and again, like, man. People in the human resistance really need to start paying closer attention to the names people choose for themselves <laughs> when they exit yeah. the, the matrix. Like, yeah, my name's a huge asshole. <laughs> Great. Welcome to the family. It's like, it's not even Bane didn't know he was going to go bad, but like they probably should have made a note. Like that's, that's not, that's not promising. Hope, <laughs> hope some sort of great hero never arises who might have a Bane that will prove his undoing. Uh, but anyway, so yeah. And, and we just sort of ends there on this, on this note of suspense. Um, and then boy, you're not kidding. It is wild to think these movies were months apart. Because when Once. I started Revolutions last night, I'm like, literally, this is the next scene. Yeah. Like, it is like also, immediately. Did you watch through the credits? There's an after credit no. stinger that is like just a bunch of scenes from the from Revolutions. Like in like. It's probably just a tr- essentially the trailer. They basically, were like, yeah, it's basically yeah, a trailer. Yeah. That they stuck to the end of that because it was ready because that movie was like four months out. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason <laughs> so, yeah, why they, they shot simultaneous stick- is because they initially wanted to release them literally right after each other. But it would have yeah. cut down the box office. It, it was better for the both these movies that they were released simultaneously. This is you why know it would have been better for everyone, though. Yeah, One what? big movie. One big movie. Intermissions. Like bring back, bring back I intermissions. Watched, yes. yes. I watched Lawrence of Arabia this weekend and I was like, you know, that's a fucking movie. Just imagine this with the for the Matrix. We could have had this. <laughs> the Irishman like is Reloaded. only a half hour longer than both Matrix movies. And I feel like people Wait, complain longer? about how long that movie. It's only it's two hours and 30 Wait, minutes. Longer than. OK, longer than 
Than individually, each of, individually, okay, yeah, which okay. are two hours. I thought you meant together. <laughs> you could have cut these together into one three-hour movie with an intermission, and I think it would have been a stronger film. I'm yep. sort of surprised. Does, does such a fan cut not not exist? It must exist. I'm sure it must. I mean, exist. so my easy friend, too. Uh, like they are literally. Friend, yeah. Uh, Patrick Willems has a YouTube channel. who also was in the same cinema studies program as me at Oberlin College, so we have very similar opinions on cinema. Uh, he did a video that I think you'll all enjoy about. Uh, just playing script doctor on these movies and how he would uh, rearrange the plot beats and uh, kind of tighten up these movies in order to make the idea of choice and what it means to make a choice more foregrounded. And I feel like, in general, I agree that you could definitely make a really good movie out of the material in both of these movies, but I, what I more firmly agree, think is like they should have just shot these two movies like a normal movie uh, each instead of doing one long shoot that clearly hampered the product. It clearly hampered yeah, the story. It's so much cheaper though. I mean, it's yeah. you know, like, it's yeah. like the, the cost of like spinning up, like building sets all over again. I mean, I understand. I, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, a, I agree with you, but it's, a, you know, I, yeah. I also see how they, I how don't, they I don't think, that. I think they needed and wanted to do it. Also the thing that Bill Pope says uh, about the shooting of the matrix is that the Wachowskis had just read a book about, about the filming, the process that Stanley Kubrick has where he takes everything to take 90 to get like uh, really emotional and like genuine reactions out of his performances. And Bill Pope was just like, you get to take 90 on shit you just don't need 90 takes of. And it's exhausting and it's grueling and the, everyone feels like it's a slog. And you can you can see in some of the performances like you some of these scenes, you're like, they had him say this shit 90 times. Why? None, I, lo- I love a lot of the words in all three of these movies. None of them required 90 takes. No! This was not The Shining. I would would even say that no movie ever required 90 takes. Yeah, The Shining, by by all accounts, was psychologically and emotionally abusive to one of its its actors to the point that... Shelley Duvall never wanted to act again, and you can see why. (laughs) It is great, you know, it, it is... You know, as we begin to recount the the sort of sum up our feelings on Reloaded and start into revolutions, it's like you really thinking about the filming process here. I feel like you could have released Reloaded, taken a step back, started production on the third and been like, there's a lot of narrative threads that are just not being fulfilled by the script that we have for this next movie. And we got to do another pass on this. And they would have been able to, course correct. But because these movies were made concurrently, you don't. Have you ever, you guys have written features before. By the time you get to word count 3,000 words, you need someone else to read it. You need someone else who's never even heard of the things you're talking about before to read it. You can't <laughs> see what needs to be explained. And sometimes it's even fan reaction, right? Like, because yeah. you can see a lot of in these sequels, like, okay, what did people respond to? It is not, it is never just solely what did the filmmakers want to make? Like, mm-hmm. that is a dance with the audience and what they responded to. And um, while I don't, you know, can't explicitly know like exactly I haven't read through all the interviews from you know in mm-hmm. 1999 but you can see a lot of like people were fascinated by the world of the matrix and I'm sure its creators were too and you you almost wonder like would they have pulled back like what would they have pulled back on in the third movie um you know as as a result probably a lot less Zion would be like my guess like yeah, even though I, I like a lot of the Zion stuff in matrix uh revolutions like my guess is that would be the first cut is just like all right, like, what do people, they want more more Neo and more Trinity and yeah. more Morpheus. Uh, and, like, how do we get them that's doing the, stuff together? I would, 
you you'll get the you'll get the Zion stuff from the third movie from my cold dead hands is kind of how I feel. Well, I see that, but I'm with I'm 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 explaining to you what yeah. I think would have happened because I actually think the third movie is like a f- fucking masterwork. Like Can like you guys all tell in me at completely all don't. at all what happens in those battle scenes though. What are they defending? Yes. Please, okay, like so, I actively don't gen- remember when I watched right, this movie yesterday. Because I'm glad we're skipping ahead to this because oh, this yes. is what. I just wanted to put out there that I think that I want I I love the Scion scenes in the second movie and I would have gotten rid of most of the fights except for the last one. Well, I agree with yeah. Well, right, like two movies have Neo just like fucking wave his hand and do his superhero shit like really quickly to move on to the next thing (laughs) and keep everything else. And I would yeah, we need to swipe left on this. uh, (laughs) When I enter into revolutions, I mean this this is personal for me. But when I enter into revolutions, the thing I I care the most about is this adorable Indian child. Sati and I love yeah. the thing that they set up here with Sati and then it just goes away for a half hour of battle scenes featuring guys I've never met before and don't care about <laughs> like everyone I care about is on a boat off screen I'm so pissed <laughs> I kind of care about the kid a little bit only because I've seen the animatrix <laughs> right yeah yeah so God. here's here's my argument I think with the third movie, they are now entering the realm of like um, sweeping epic territory of like mm-hmm. now they're trying to tell a story of a society, two societies yeah. going to war. Mm-hmm. And so I think very pointedly, they want to take the the focus off the, the small band of heroes on the boat and want to put that in the, this almost like more... Uh, like Grossman-esque uh, like panorama of all the characters now who form the society, which is why we get the shots of like, we see now how do they make the shells for the guns? It's a home craft of all the society being bent toward war, people uh, building artillery shells at their kitchen table and all that. Um, I agree that like it is, none of these characters really are as interesting as the people on the boat. Like, uh, the the commander of the the mechanized brigade or whatever like he's a stock character right yeah. he's the he's sort of the gruff sarge type character uh who's like in this man's apu core boy we got no time for slackers and <laughs> we've, we've seen a, a million versions of characters like he's that. very good at screaming though like once once he's firing those bullets i'm all in on him i was like all right you weren't much of a character but give me a couple more close-up shots of you going by, by the way, even even zion the spirit of Hong Kong action lives because their mechs pull out two pistols That's and start funny. blazing away. <laughs> yeah. That's how the, how are we going to fight the robots? One big gun? No, 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 no. Two big two mechanized guns. handguns. Yeah. <laughs> and I need everyone to shoot it at a hole. Yeah. Uh, so it really feels like they're in the loot cave from the original Destiny. It's like what it, it, it occurred to me. I, I was watching it. I was like, I remember this. Like spawning in. Yeah. Yeah, like I hope they get some good drops from this. Damn, like I think it's I think it's also the case to to Rob's point is that these movies up until the sort of invasion of Zion by the robots, like you never quite grasp the full scale of what they're capable of. Like they right. always seem to be pulling back because with the architect we learn well actually they're playing a very purposeful game. Like I think if they like were able to snuff out uh, all the humans a little earlier, they'd be like, all right, well that game ended a little. Early and 
prematurely, but uh, I guess we'll just start the cycle all over again. Um, <laughs> like, and and here you see like the full force of what they're capable of, and like the huge panoramic, like big picture shots of like tens of thousands of these fucking things swarming around. Like, I don't. It constantly but took my breath away. The other thing, and this is this is actually one of the reasons I really ended up admiring this film yesterday uh to to your point gita mm-hmm. is that i think so many movies now try to sort of evoke these kind of shots but they just turn into kind of nonsense because it's all like imagery but like there's no context there's no sense of like physical space i think something they do really brilliantly throughout i was gonna say the day of this film but it's like fully two-thirds of the movie it's yeah. this entire battle that's happening yeah. um yeah it's a very but- long long sequence <laughs> But I think something that I really admire is that at no point you can sort of read what the situation is at Mm -hmm. every sequence of this battle. Like they are very good at establishing what is the space we are defending? What are the objectives? What are the next positions we'll defend? How does all this fit together? And so like where we've seen a lot of movies have these big CGI battles, but there is no sense of like grounded reality underlying it. Um, here, I think they've done a great job of setting the table of like, okay, they're defending the dock, the fortified shell that faces the, the outer world where they launch their ships and also the, basically the main gate of Zion Mm -hmm. below the dock is the actual city of Zion. And so the dock is the one choke point that they can really defend prior to having to fall back to the temple which is a sort of Masada-like, it can't really easily be taken by the machines because they have to get into a single file thing, but also there's no real escaping or winning uh, Mm -hmm, from that sort mm -hmm. of scenario. And so I think they do a really good job of, as you see these things drilling in and the armored core shooting them down, and then you get the little infantry uh, like groups sneaking around using the tunnels to um, kill the drillers. At every step of that, it's really clear like what all is happening and how the situation is changing. Each time we cut to those wide shots of like the dock and we see it's even more fucked up than the last time. Right. Culminating in the end where like the main superstructure of like Citadel of the dock is sort of knocked down and burning and all the mechs lay scattered and covered in robot guts. All of it really is readable despite Mm -hmm. the chaos of the scene. I think that extends to Niobe's awesome chase scene through the uh, tunnels. Oh my God. I could not get enough of that. Dude, like the ship has such a strong feeling of like actually having characteristics to like pilot and like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. why is it? I agree about the Niobe scenes for sure. (laughs) But yeah, this is, but like, this is kind of one of the reasons I just, I, I do love this part of the film is I think it really does deliver on this, the grandiosity of this like human machine war. Uh, that's been alluded to, but we've never seen what a full-on fight looks like. Because let's face it, the EMPs were never cool, right? That's yeah. fine, but yeah. so I, I I agree in parts. I agree that yes, like cinematically, this is incredibly impressive. I feel like yes, that the stakes are established and they are very clear. And but I don't necessarily agree that they. So let's look at another 2003 era film that also has a huge battle scene in it: uh, the Two Towers. The Battle of Helm's Deep. I have so strong, clear memories of 
exactly where every character was standing on the wall, exactly what their jobs were, and exactly how they failed or succeeded in their jobs and what impact it had on the final battle. I do not feel like the Wachowskis reached that height. I know that's a high watermark, but I also know that they're capable of it. You know, I, I know that they are that talented. And here I feel like they do not as because Zion is not as strongly uh, established as a physical place that people and, and live quite in. literally like physical as in like yeah. <laughs> a lot this so much of this scene is 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 cg yeah. right like yeah. i think yeah i think that a lot a of helms detriment part, a huge part of the magic of lord of the rings is peter jackson coming from a horror background yeah. in which like he like made these like twee little uh yeah. uh gort atastic uh uh horror films in which like he did a lot of practical effects that like he was building with him and his friends and you see yeah. so much of that in lord of the rings in which uh like yes there's a lot of like computer effects that that aid the things that he can't do with practical but like the helm's deep one specifically is one yeah. that I think is aided by a guy who like so deeply intrinsically understands what it's like to have physical presence in things that are fantastical and even though i also agree with rob like I think this is staged really well and like compared to like any modern blockbuster in which you would have the equivalent scene like it's just mm-hmm. noise it is just fucking yeah. noise and here it's not noise but I also also agree with you Gita that like it, it it's very rare that it actually feels like a place even though it's readable and I think mm-hmm. it's tense and I think there's there's spectacle to it I, I also find myself you know agreeing that like yeah it is very very rarely do you actually feel like you're in a spot but also I think that's endemic of how rarely it feels like Zion itself is it's a like place. an actual place. Yeah, the, the, the yes. problem isn't that though necessarily these scenes. It's that they did not do the work on Zion. This is not an emotional do. payoff for yeah. understanding what the dock and like what those places are. Like, despite the amount of time we spend in Zion in previous films, like mm-hmm. it's just Given it's the, right. Like we know the dock's important because yeah. you know what they keep saying. The <laughs> they keep saying the dock's important. important. Yeah. It's the ent- it's just where they're ent- where they're entering. I feel like the, the one of the big things is just I think there is no physical way, and maybe they should have figured out a way to just fucking toss a map up, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's a hologram so you can see it in three dimensional space, but there's no way to do a f- establishing wide shot of Zion because of the way that they want the structure to seem right. They are underground, which means that they're they would have to do that. That's a, that sort of shot where like you know you see the ground around it or something, but they decide not to really where like Helm's Deep you understand the scale of that place you've seen it from mm-hmm. far away as people as those characters first enter that that place so like that that establishing uh shot it really helps with the battle later uh mm-hmm. and they never they never do a similar thing here and part of it is just like like how how, how, how would you do times? it <laughs> I mean I, I feel like there's some way well, to I think do it right very, but like I think it's a very clever acknowledgement of the fact that Zion is not truly free and is in fact just a terrarium uh, arranged <laughs> yeah. for humanity by the robots and I think a wide shot would give the game away if the humans had a perspective on their own situation <laughs> they would understand the game away, that too. or would it be essential for the audience to know mm, and to see that true. in the visual language right like if you could see yeah. that this really was like a human zoo Truly, after we've already there's, had that there's revelation, robots and, up there like treating water to drip yeah. down into the caves. Yeah, yeah. If you could really, really see it, like really, really see, like we don't see the exterior of Zion, you know, in the previous movie, but now that we know that Zion really is like a deliberate staging for this battle, why don't we see more how the machines have manipulated these people? I feel like that would be really interesting. Yeah. Instead, like you get a lot between Mufune and the kid. Mm-hmm. 
And Mufuni, I just mixed up with the other guy. <laughs> I really did because I feel like they look very similar and I've never met Mufune before and I don't know anything about him. Um, and it becomes, I think, the human aspect of it becomes very generic the longer that this goes on, unfortunately, where... It becomes, it feels like you're watching any other war movie, even though they're fighting giant robots in giant robots. And I don't feel like The Matrix should feel that way. It would make a difference, it really would, if every character I had met before was not just off screen doing something else. You know, if no. Niobe and Lawrence Fishburne, I keep calling him Lawrence Fishburne just because I like calling him Larry, but I know that his name is Morpheus. Um, <laughs> like, even if, if they came back faster... And then we're able to be present at that final battle. I feel like that would have helped up me a lot, just in terms of giving me emotional stakes of yeah, what I want to survive. Yeah, they could be icons. In, I mean, that's that's basically what, like what you're describing is what happens in Helm's Deep. Is, yeah, is yeah. like, hey, we have these characters you go on an emotional journey with through you know nearly two movies at this point. Well, like they're going to be your anchors. The, yeah, yeah. Here the they scene. think. They did it. I think this is the yeah, other problem. Yeah, I guess that's they think they pulled it off. You're right. Yeah. They right. think we care about <laughs> not Tank's wife. Yeah. Sorry, by the way, where the fuck is Tank? That guy was fine. He was in rude health by the end of the Matrix. Where is Tank? Where you tell me Tank he? is dead now too? Yeah, God. And no, <sighs> Tank just wanted to get paid what he felt he deserved as part of this big blockbuster. And they wrote him out. Yep. Oh. Um, oh damn! Really? That is oh yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what why Tank's not around. <laughs> oh, boom. Yeah. oh no! Tank died on his way back to his home city of Zion. <laughs> uh, it's like he seemed fine. No, the lightning gun was—it was bad. Like they just didn't know it at the end. But like yeah. right after the Matrix ends, probably while Neo is on the phone to the Matrix, being like, "I'm gonna show them." Tank is like, "Fuck him up, Neo." Uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fuck. So, but they think they think they do have the Helm's Deep situation where like there's the the characters we care about defending the city, and then there's the Ga team Gandalf riding to the rescue aboard. Uh, it's not Niobe's ship. It's what the you other really dudes. need is Morpheus and the kid having that same relationship that Mufuni and the kid have. Because Morpheus's yeah, right. faith is reflected in the kid, but the kid is like naive and annoying I, just the way that everyone thinks Morpheus is. Yeah, I do think that's kind of like the the thing with him. But like they wanted I feel like what they're trying to get at is the the way that hope spreads throughout Zion. Right. Mm -hmm, and the way that mm -hmm. Neo becomes it's like Neo becomes not a, just a literal uh, savior because of what he does at the end of the movie. But like through giving people hope is kind of becoming the one in that way. And like mm -hmm. they wanted to separate it from the crew, I think because Morpheus is already so into Neo that they wanted to show like people who weren't right. Like that's why you get Mifuni at the beginning of uh, reloaded when they like arrive at Zion for the first time, like being obviously skeptical still, right. Mm -hmm. Like not believing. Um, but and like maybe this is maybe skipping ahead a little too much, but there's a line that Morpheus says here that kind of like cinched it for me of like what the switch is here mm -hmm. from uh Neo being uh the the one who will save everyone to Neo being the thing that will drive people to save themselves. Um mm -hmm. where's that line? It's 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 near the end. We'll probably get it once we're further down in the uh oh yeah. As long as there is breath in his body, he will not give up and neither should we. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's the his conviction to do 
the right thing should be with the thing that everyone else is looking towards rather than him being the one that's just, just going to do the whole, do everything for us. Right. Um, more of Zion and more of the people in Zion would have died if they didn't hold the dock long enough for Neo to finish doing his, his end of the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if the dock mm-hmm. falls earlier, maybe Zion, like maybe Neo gets to the place and like the machines are well, like, Oh, well Zion's already fallen. Sorry. <laughs> I kind of dig this part too of like, the movement requires dudes like Harry Lennox's character, right? Mm-hmm. Like he may not be part of the prophecy, but it is lack of it is his lack of faith and his belief in like we must take practical steps and save ourselves yeah. under the assumption that there we do not live in a world of saviors. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is that that allows them to get through this, right? He's not wrong when he's like, I need like we need to make the most practical preparations possible. He is wrong to say we should give the prophecy no chance right uh because right. the prophecy is real but i like i will say just to sort of close the loop on, on the fight at the end of the fight i also thought of helms deep and i was like i don't know which of these fights is better i also enjoyed these scenes but let's let's be real helms deep like like gita was saying earlier like they're they've 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 done so much setup in that space that they did they yeah. couldn't do in Zion that like really does put it a step above I think ultimately even though I love yeah. the he- I love all the bits about the dock hold the dock hold, holding the dock fight that are also like eleventh hour world building uh, like the fact that oh, yeah. they have to reload manually because there are no <laughs> there are no thinking machines in Zion right everything has oh, to be God, done coming by out humans out with the coming out with the fucking oh it's so, so good I love good. that shit and the shot the shot <laughs> yeah, from the yeah. from the front wheel of the wheelbarrow yeah yep. uh, to, just to go see it at that scale now don't I'm just fall like over. trying to don't, 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 don't fall do that over. thing yeah. again you're just you hard did the mouth. thing earlier yeah <laughs> yeah um, but also let me tell you this the Zion fight does not have uh, Legolas and Gimli unconvincingly like <laughs> bopping like actors in orc outfits who then yeet themselves off of like tall surfaces. <laughs> yeah, like I fair. will say that's we don't fair. have yeah. that issue cropping that's, up here. That is fair. You know? <laughs> uh, but fair criticism. They sell they sell every part of this fight, even if it's a little confusing to follow because yeah. the I space mean, isn't as established. Genuinely as like my my issue with it is just like how does this function in the film? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't at, at this long of a sequence. It doesn't without further explanation or justifications in terms of the whole movie. It took me out because I yeah. truly was very invested in the story of Neo and Trinity. I, well, I was I was invested in that ship getting and it felt like what they the, the ship, the ship sequence, everything mm-hmm. with like Neo be coming back is spectacular. I think all of those mm-hmm. like the ship does like uh, an underrated part about the original movie is how cool as hell those ship designs are. It is are. so yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not until this third film where you just get extended sequences of this incredible looking like CG it's that is so aided cool. by the fact that it's dark. So it's like yeah. the way it lights, like it, it holds up exceptionally well. It looks great. Um, every it looks time like they, it's I, designed for us, the technology of the time. Uh, yeah, and, but, and it's also just it. so rare, like frequently like computer effects, like especially when it's pure CG, where like we're, we've transitioned to basically an animated film. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do that in live action, it's so difficult to arrive at actual tension because usually it's just sort of like glomming on a fantastical element um, to to its existing in the live action. And here, like I, I was like squirming in my seat during some of those sequences where like she's like going around the tight passages. They were all just spectacular, but it seemed like 
in order for that to achieve maximum tension, also require the Zion scene to keep going. Yeah. Like, like, and so I think that's where you get like the Zion stuff, like the weaknesses of the lack of like proper emotional uh, buildup they've done are exasp are like uh, are kind of like uh, extended out because specifically like they need this chase sequence where you are like this yeah. race to get to the gate is yeah. tense because you do love this character and you do want to see them get there and you've got Morpheus like you got yeah. Larry he's there Larry's Larry actually kind of freaking out yeah I love that she's telling she's oh this the business is like hey flip this to this and he's like I'm trying it's the, it's, there there are moments in these movies where Morpheus has a crisis of faith mm-hmm. where he, uh, uh, you know, re- like is suddenly sh- uh, shook in, in his like emotional, uh, spiritual belief in, in this, this prophecy, the one, but on that ship is the only time that you see him manifestly overwhelmed and yeah. being like, I'm doing my fucking <laughs> best. And I rewound that part three <laughs> times. And- Just cracking up uh-huh. again i feel like maybe this is also where some of the wikowski's um like anime literacy comes in because they have a real good sense of how should this machine this cool weird machine that we've built like how should it actually behave it doesn't behave like a plane really because it's got those like those grids of like mm-hmm. repulsors yeah. and, and thrusters mm-hmm. and so when you hear her rattling off commands to morpheus it's this ridiculous, like, rub your stomach and pat your head thing of, like, cut power to this, this, and this, but add power to here. And you realize she's doing combinations. She's piling the ship, but she's also bouncing off the walls using those thrusters to keep the thing from, like, crashing. And she's yeah. constantly, like, changing the flight characteristics of the ship by, like, adding or subtracting power to these different like platforms and it's like it's a small detail but it is so fucking cool and i think so much better than like here i thought about guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. spaceships have no weight or character in those films like they could be Mm -hmm. anything there's no there's there's no physics there's no constraints they they don't really like have any any character like characteristics here over the course of this like you know chase sequence we get a real sense of like, boy, these things are tricky as hell. I can see why Niobe's such a badass because, yeah. like, I could not do that. Morpheus can clearly not do that. Um, <laughs> well, even even and- when, she, when when she does the flip, right? Like, and they, you know, one of the many underdeveloped characters who acts as just like <laughs> the a captain skeptic. of the ship. Yeah, yeah, like, but they do like the best line he's got in yes. these films is when she does that, and then the cutaway, and he's like. Shit, I didn't know this ship could do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's so good. Uh, By the and and I do love that he immediately flips onto Team Morpheus and Niobe when they land, and Harry Lennox is like, yep. "Oh, you guys fucked everything up," and he's like, "Excuse me, what?" <laughs> uh, so that's the battle. Going back to Neo and everything, and the the situation we've got. Uh, here at the end, because this actually all comes after some major events. Neo has to go have another conversation with the Oracle, and this is where I wanted to, because I still try, like, I struggle to work this out, and I need you guys' help mm-hmm. understanding this. Mm-hmm. All of this has happened before. We're in our sixth loop, which means traditionally the Oracle has been basically, like, making sacrifices for the matrix, right? Like she's been the help she has given the one has traditionally been the help you offer like 
a lamb being led to slaughter, you know, leading it up the steps to the altar. Morpheus, uh, Neo this time has chosen to break the cycle and not engage with it on those terms at all. But how are we supposed to, how do we feel about the Oracle knowing that like she and the architect are like two sides of this coin and here, and here I think we are not helped by the fact we also have a different Oracle uh, mm-hmm. because like, uh, like unfortunately, um, you know, the, the actress, uh, you know, passed away, I guess, during, during this long shoot. Um, and mm-hmm. so we're, we're not going to get, we're not, we're not going to get another scene uh, with the, the Oracle that we remember. Um, but when Neo goes and talks to her for that last time in the kitchen where they first met, I have a hard time working out like, is the Oracle like really helping him? Has she been really helping him? Is she helping him make this third choice and, and, and find this like new destiny or is he just done this own done this on his own and she's kind of like rolling with it? So I, what I interpret it as, uh, I was thinking about Debs, the Alex Garland show Debs quite a bit when, as soon as this sort of cropped up here, I feel like the moment where he goes to save Trinity is where they're sort of entering new material for the Oracle. And she had anticipated this move, but she also already knows, no, we have not been here before, I don't think. I feel it to me what I get is the sense that she's only an oracle because she's retained the, her memory of all six ed- iterations of mm. this journey for these characters. Right. So she knows the moves they'll make because they'll be made before. So she knows Neo well enough to know what he's likely to do. But he d- she does not have ultimate knowledge of the exact choices she'll no, make. She's not she actually a, a, a prof- like prophesizing anything. She's yeah. just like a scribe in yeah. a world that has mm. no past history. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she. But she it is it, it is true. It is true. She could have said something, I guess, if she wanted to. And but it's never really explained. Which I guess is kind of what you're getting at, Rob. Like, like she could have opened the books and been like, so. Um, yeah. There are some possible other paths we could take, but it, I guess maybe the impl- the underlying implication is that for whatever reason, the program Neo, whatever, like needs to make needs to make that choice on their own or else it won't work. Uh, like that's kind of a, I'm not yeah, totally the emotional clear on how that core lands. here is Neo's driven to make like a true choice, a true choice made out of free will. And to get there, the Oracle has to manipulate situations such that Neo is in a new situation. So the um, Mr. Smith virus is an entirely new scenario for the matrix. And it's a bad luck that it's also happening literally at this time. <laughs> Um, it's just sort of like when you look at your calendar and you have like three meetings in a day and you're like, shit, you know, (laughs) God damn it. Um, but like that to me is just sort of like the Oracle is at a place where she understands the moves that different players will make because she's seen them all make moves before Mm. and she understands their priorities very innately, but she does not know exactly what will happen because there are too many new variables and her her, I do think she has been sort of making sacrifices because she's been trying to push the limits of this system mm. until it breaks, until right. there's too many new variables. You know, it's not just enough to just have Neo's attachment to Trinity. You also need to have this virus happening here so that the deck gets stacked in the favor of humanity rather than in favor of the machines. I guess also her in, like indifferent persona could also be the result of 
however long the time scale of this is mm-hmm. that you know you don't really have an emotional attachment to any of this because you've done this before you might do this again it's a and thought experiment for her right well it's, yeah and I, I will say this is one part um i think it's Mary Alice has dealt a really impossible hand stepping oh. in for Gloria Foster. <laughs> yeah. Especially um, a beloved character, so beloved, and so uh, an emotional aspect of these movies that was unexpected in the first one and a real touchstone in the second and third. But I will say, I think she makes a really great decision. Um, the way she plays the Oracle here, a lot of the warmth, like the warmth is still there, but she's leading with exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Th- this is now a tired, hard woman mm-hmm. uh, sort of staring down now, real uncertainty for the first time ever. And I love the way she reads that line of like the test of a choice is whether knowing what you know, you would still make it. Um, that you need to confirm the choice for it to really count. You can't, it's not, it's not a moral choice really if you just like hoped and didn't know what the cost would be. Once you know the cost, would you still pay it? Yeah. Uh, I, I love like and the approach she takes to playing this character at this moment. Mm-hmm. I I feel like a real drawback from having this unfortunate thing happen is that that is really the most important line in these two movies, especially as applied to every single character. Every single character is asked in the narrative in ways that are successful and unsuccessful, I think, as storytelling methods. But every single character is pushed to a point where it's like, now that you know that the things you believed weren't really true, would you still do what you did? And every character is pushed to say, yes, I would. You know, yes, I would do these things. Morpheus especially. Learning that the prophecy is not like a savior, but sort of a, a manipulation. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks mm. for him. It sucks a lot. But I think his belief in Neo, because he believed in Neo specifically, his belief in Neo as a man, like that is fulfilled. And he has to be able to say, my faith was my faith, even though it wasn't necessarily based on anything real. I I would still choose to believe in Neo. And Neo has to say, you know, even though I know that it would come with great personal sacrifice, I have to choose to fight for humanity. I have to choose to sacrifice myself for them. It is really, really compelling, this idea. And it brings together, I think, a, a criticism people often have of these movies is that the way that the themes are expressed is, can be pretty weak. But the scenes with the Oracle, they really bring them out. They really, really do. I think mm-hmm. there's something Patrick pointed to in terms of the scene with the architect being like, finally a place where the movie slows down and people actually talk about their motivations. But it's also like... She she was nice to us. I'm sorry. The lady was nice to us in the first movie, and I like her now. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, we didn't touch on it long, but um, in what, on, on the one hand, Merovingian Part 2 just does not need to be here it in a lot of ways. It doesn't need to be here at all. It's hilarious. We it do need, need to, to hear though. Trinity call him Merv. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, need, yes. Yes. we need her to hold a gun on him. And so what's it gonna be, Merv? What's a good uh that is great. I do I do love that like the world is ending and he's in the club. <laughs> I love about Merv again. He's like, where do I want to hole up? Ah, uh, yes, the fetish club. That is yeah. where I feel most safe. Eventually the Smiths the, will get in here too, but yeah. well this is this it'll is, be this too is kind of my question there too. Like, do, do, do the other uh, programs at this point realize that Smith is happening? Like, how... 
Because the Merovingian mythification of the world, we did. I feel yeah, like we did. The Merovingian doesn't. I mean, I think there is an, a small. I mean, they talk about like programs getting deleted, and that's why those programs at the beginning of the movie are like leaving or getting out or like getting in rather. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's never like any sense of like, does anyone know that? fucking smith is proliferating like the way that he is other than like i think the oracle obviously has so, gotten I, I wind think of merv, this but. merv has some sense because he calls sati the last exile but the you know the oh, only yeah. reason why you would say that is if there's no more exiles you know there's no coming. more time right yeah right yeah, yeah. that's right. a good point yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's really that's really subtle yeah, as opposed to the end like, really, the only indi- like clear, explicit indication you get that the Matrix has been overloaded is like the very end when Neo wins, and you like see the splintering of the light go, and it's like, ah, oh, shit. Or Things when he goes back to the Matrix the last Matrix. time, and the Matrix yeah. is basically gone. Yeah, like, it's, it's, now it's just I crystal. love the melodrama here. It's so funny to me. He jacks the fuck in for the last time, and it's just rain and like opera. <laughs> And everybody in the window is Agent Smith. I yeah. love it. I also, love it's all, it. It's all, it's all, uh, the green tinge is gone from everything. It's all black. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's all yeah. dark. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, it's, all it's no longer the original code of the, with the green of the Matrix. It is, it is the black it's, of Agent Smith's suit. Look, right? I think it was a brilliant like, decision to let Netherrealm, uh, create that scene. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> question at the time but i think history has borne it out as an inspired choice by the wakowskis um but and way to go another, Ed boone another side There's note a i do love before we get to the smith fight that i wanted to note just in terms of neo and trinity's journey ended up being like yeah. for some reason the thing i just really really latched on to i feel like for me like when i start emotionally engaging in the movie is when trinity is like you're going to the machine to me and i'm coming with you because i know you're not coming back from this i have to be there for that and for me, the fight scene, the not the fight scene, the chase that they have with the machines chasing them, and then especially knowing the what sky. happened to Trinity. She's the, the only person, she's the only person in this universe who has ever seen the sun before. Uh, yeah. Like, think about that. And like that, <laughs> that mo- shot, that shot, like I love it. G- quite literally took my breath away. It really did like, for me when, too. I had to rewind it. And it, watch is, it, again. it is just so striking and, and beautiful and like it's so it's so short. Like it, it, you know, you you. I felt in the moment, like as the ship was diving, yeah. like my stomach sink and be like, ah, oh, damn. Um, yeah. That that little bit was uh, really something. The else. most depth that Trinity really gets. I think Carrie Ann Moss creates a full character uh, in the same way that Neo does, just by acting the absence, of acting the lack. Um, her terseness ends up saying a lot about her as a person. But even here, the. The fact that she's given a moment to see real natural beauty and her reaction to it of, of also like us, like the audience being their, her breath taken away and just says mutters beautiful. Uh, you know, that having that, that really puts into your mind, not just what she is fighting for, but what she does not even know that she is fighting for. Right. right? The society that the world could have if human beings were not so driven to conflict, you know, that forefronts again, these sort of themes that characters are bringing up in the margins, that the world could be better. It could be more than just the machines versus humanity. It could be a healthy planet. It could be and a it's still there. world. Yeah. It right. is still it's there. It's like just beyond this cloud layer, but like yeah. we could like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the scene of her sacrifice. And then 
I think they it's a sad that no one jacks back into the Matrix to see the smithification of the world. But I do really like the visual effect of the source code that Neo sees when he's blinded. Mm-hmm. I think yes. it's so beautiful. It it feels like not to bring up Peter Jackson again, but Peter Jackson's like vision of the Elf City Ariandel is like pretty boring. And this feels like the level of majesty he was trying to evoke here of just that golden light with the the do like the the sort of water droplet yeah. effect every time he takes a step. It's it's gorgeous and it's even more gorgeous when they return back to that imagery during the Smith fight. It's God, it's it's such an incredible thing because like the way his procession to meet the robots, right, as they mm-hmm. slowly start to become aware of his presence and like begin following along to like listen to this audience, it's it's awesome stuff. And and the fact that like he is now like hero of two worlds, right? Of mm-hmm. of like the machines now are aware something's gone horribly wrong in the Matrix. That seems to be clear, but like they just at a loss for what to do about it. Um, they are kind yeah. of like, damn, this sucks, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> so um, like Jack quitting Twitter is like, damn, that's crazy. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, and, and maybe they are hoping that like they can like firewall it off, right? That mm-hmm. he won't escape the Matrix, and they just mm-hmm. you know, with humanity gone, they won't need it. But uh, I know I got a Matrix B. Like, is there yeah, a? Yeah. Uh, I got a ba- I got a backup. Can we restore it to an earlier version? <laughs> <laughs> they just need to reboot in safe mode and just put yeah. a stop um, to this. Um, but oh, there's one thing I want to, yeah, cut there's up. something that I noticed having watched these movies back to back this time around. One of the only times we see uh, a shot of the code in these two movies is when in the matrix, when, uh, uh, Neo meets Seraph and Seraph is that same golden color that they come back to at the end, which always mm. like signaled to me that the idea is that. At this point, we're talking about something metaphysical, like something that, you know, humans call a soul that exists in both realms at this point. Yeah. Right? There are, and there's, there's a, sort a of sentience. Same golden a, yellow tone to the, uh, the uh, Oracle's apartment also. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. The, the, the golden yellow that Seraph appears in the Matrix is then echoed here at the end with the entire machine city. And it's just like, oh, these are all also you know, sentient beings. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is why the, the the end is not we're destroying the machines and winning the war that way. It is there, there's, there's a peace being made, right? Um, yeah. I think this whole journey is like really, really shot. Like, again, like the I feel like these movies are so good when no one's talking because this, this scene says so much yeah. about Neo's solitary journey and the nature of his sacrifice, because he doesn't get a chance to pontificate about it. He just sort of follows this golden light. And you know he's going to die. Like, you know immediately that this guy's not coming back from this. But he's making the choice. He's making the choice to do it. And you understand without it being explained to you how this is the culmination of his entire journey. Because we remember Tom Anderson. We remember the guy that wouldn't go out the window. How far he's grown now. Yeah. You know, walking straight into it. Also, um, uh, this is just for me, but the fucking first thing I thought when the machine god basically came up was like, oh, hey, that's a servitor from uh, Destiny. It uh, does look like a servitor they, from Destiny. They, they fucking gave them spikes in one of the uh, the spiders servitors specifically have oh spikes in the exact same way. That's it's very so funny. funny to me. I feel like they're making they were making a, a 
a sideways sure reference were. to this. I do love that also the swarm of machines when it makes a face, it chooses a giant baby head. I mentioned giant that baby earlier. Head. But it is a giant baby head. It's a giant baby head. And I love that. Um also one thing I, I just want to get back to is just the horror of Bane finally springing his trap too. too. Yes. Oh Hang on. Please. Human resistance. Let's have a little, like, let's do a little bit basic security, uh, like hygiene <laughs> aboard these ships. They're like, man, we can't trust this guy. He's acting really fucking weird. I agree. Hey, medic, go hang out alone with him in the infirmary, and we're going to forget all about both of you uh, for the rest of this adventure. They were in a hurry. They were in the, a hurry. The part where they're like, oh, shit, she's dead, and Bane's gone. They were like, oh, fuck, that whole thing was going on. Shit. Oh, we thought this guy was really weird and shifty. God damn it. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Now we can't. Oh, I hope Neo and Trinity are all right. Sorry. Uh, but his his whole like Hugo Weaving impression as he like talks to her, we're like, maybe I don't want to remember after all. And just the and the and you the way he gets the the, the scalpel in his hands. Uh God. That like it's funny because Bane is not a particularly uh, threatening looking guy in a lot of ways. He looks a lot like, um, yeah, Chris Elliott. He looks a lot like Chris Elliott. Oh, yeah. He looks uh, almost exactly like Chris Elliott. Yeah. Yes. Not a super threatening character, but like genuinely the rev- like the way he makes this idea of like Smith has broken outside of the Matrix is genuinely horrifying. And the slow like when he springs his trap on uh, Neo and Trinity the realization that he's here yeah um is it's is is genuinely uh like terrifying as like it should be obviously neo long before it is but like i think a, a thing that he, both he and the script do well is he can't allow himself to think it cuz it just seems impossible that like smith could do this to a person and 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 overwrite his code onto a human um I also I do love as well the fact that um his little matrix vision uh like the way he has this burning vision of Smith that allows him to just kick his ass in a fight in the real world. Yeah. Um is super cool. Uh and also like it's it's kind of bittersweet because the way that vision fades out and you realize like well Neo Neo is blind. The last thing he will see in the physical world is is Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, that is sort of the, this this grace that he gets to allow him to beat Smith uh, mm-hmm. is that he will get his his his, his vision for one last moment mm-hmm. uh, to win this fight, and then it's just darkness. Yeah, because it's kind of interesting that we never see the movie never shows the absence of like looking at Trinity, right? Like we never see Neo Vision when yeah the final mo- you know the it's, it's source all, and then know, it illuminates her absence that would have been right i think a really good addition here um i think by this end point especially because the i think the love scene that they have in reloaded is really good and really hot and i think it, mm-hmm. the, it really sells the physicality of these two people being attracted to each other especially now that we have a lot more material in the movies of them being in love with each other and selling that love to each other. That was the one thing I think that was missing from the scene of Trinity's death. And reloaded. It's not just, it's not just that they, they have a, a like a decent sex scene, but like they're just constantly horny for each oh other. My God. Yeah, yeah. Like multiple sequences where they're like, all right, 
time to bone. And then, you know, yeah. You know, he, he has his first time coming back to Zion. Yeah. There's sort of like the whole Messiah like thing that has to happen where I don't know if people want autographs or they want him to touch, you know, yeah. like different objects. Yeah. And she's like, your boner can wait. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we'll get there. Um and and but I did like they had mo- and like that's what made actually I think the sex scene, like as intense as it is, it was like, oh right, like this delayed gratification. Yeah. That, yeah. Like they've, they've been trying been to find trying. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they both uh, on the Nebuchadnezzar. It ain't been that long. But this one this, <laughs> I, I mean I agree. But like they were in that stage yeah. of a relationship. Yes. yes. They're it's different the, boning know that th- in an enclosed space where your boss can hear you. Yeah, you know? no, yeah. for sure, then, for sure, for what, sure. What is it, is the, the times, the time scale of the Matrix movies. Like, yeah. what is what are we looking at in terms of one to three? Like, how much time has occurred? I don't know. Weeks, months. <laughs> Who knows? According right? to like Wikipedia, is it's months, but like nothing in the film tells me this. Yeah, I mean, my they my gut has always been it was like back. You know, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, like it, it feels like weeks, but my I thought until I, like was always there was like maybe six to nine months, and so it's like, yeah. but it's within that like first year where it's like, <clears throat> oh, you're just really handsy with each other, like you just oh, can't yeah. stop, like that's yeah, like, yeah, like that's yeah. a very relatable uh, mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, feeling that the two of them uh, have, and uh, yeah, I thought they they sold that very well. Morpheus mm. being the too cool parent aboard the ship, being like, you kids have fun. <laughs> yeah. I won't even, you know, I will just be on the other end of the ship. I won't hear a thing. I'll just put up my oh, music I'll on. I'll be just doing some kung fu in the yeah. Matrix today. Well, there's that bit, that yeah. bit in the elevator where uh, the hanger on, the, you know, mm-hmm. the dude that, you know, yeah. shoving her on the bullets. He's like, I want to hang out. And he's like, hey, they got, hey, kid, they got other things to do. <laughs> I am so sorry for you, but I do not care. <laughs> That's really uh, what he was saying. So we get served up the final uh, the final fight with Smith. And, yeah, the, the Matrix has been sort of uh, taken over. But and it is funny, like the Burly Brawl doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. No, this one. Well, I think I guess Smith sort of begins by acknowledging that by saying, and that's why we don't have to fuck with all these other agent Smiths. Uh, let's just have it be you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of retreating from that conceit of like Neo, Mr. Anderson, we both acknowledge that that was not visually interesting. <laughs> and so for dramatic purposes, it will just be the two of us once again. And that's that pretty what we good. get. That was pretty good, Rob. Nice, nice. So done. the song that plays during this, which is an incredible, yep. incredible piece of music by Junior Reactor. Um, here's a... I think it's interesting to bring this up because as the Wachowskis would develop as filmmakers, they would sort of take this sort of thread of uh, what may politely be referred to as Eastern spiritualism and uh, return to it again and again in ways that become more and more racist over time. (laughs) So in this song, my junior reactor is it's called Navras and it actually interpolates um, a piece of Hindu Prayer. He's a piece of Hindu scripture, uh, which is a, a mantra that goes from dark uh, from um, uh, delusion lead me to truth, from darkness to lead me to light, from death lead me to immortality. Which is literally what's happening in this scene, and is like extremely, extremely important. And then again later, after they show him crucified um, in in a sea of light, later on as the machines sort of lift him up and take him, they also show him as part of the source with all of his chakras aligned. Yeah. So it really is like a, a very intense here. It doesn't land as Orientalist 
because it is incorporated into a broader philosophical discussion that is encompassed in Hinduism of like what is the nature of self. But when you get to sort of like Cloud Atlas, it becomes an extremely fetishistic aspect of their filmmaking that (laughs) you can see it begin literally right here. And that song rocks, though. I can't get enough of it. Uh, it is. I like so. This is this is the thing. Like I have not followed the Wachowskis as closely uh, in part because like Sense Eight Racer, I missed, uh, which so, I also um, I believe like also has has some some racist Asian characters from. I mean, <laughs> it's it's weird that there's just not like Speed Racer should have been a Japanese guy. It's just weird that he's not because right. who. His name, I mean, he could exist in anywhere because this is not a real place because this is a family called the Racer family and they named their child Speed. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, there's a guy named Snake Oiler in that movie and he drives a car that's shaped like a snake. And what does it do? It shoots oil. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's just like a movie of cartoon characters. So there's no reason why he had to be Emil Hirsch. Um, <clears throat> but Speed Racer is great, but like it's. Cloud Atlas is especially egregious because I read that book and it, in fact, really touched me very deeply. And um, it is not literally about literal reincarnation. That is just not an aspect that is very much a part of that book. It is about the metaphorical reincarnation of experiencing a piece of media and then living an entire life knowing that that is now a part of you. But they literalize it in the text, and so they paint themselves into a corner where they can only uh, do that by having actors appear uh, in makeup that makes them look Asian, like it's a fucking episode of America's Next Top Model or something. (laughs) Oh, no, Tyra does that several times. She does that more than once in America. No, I'm more mean. I'm more oh. mean that that like that that's in in Cloud Atlas. Yo, it's very much in Cloud Atlas. Yeah, it's right. very much in Cloud Atlas, and it is really really difficult to not notice it because the makeup is bad. You know, like not only yeah. that, but the aspect of the story Cloud Atlas that is set in a future Korea. Like they they really neuter that plot line in a really specific way that the book goes out of its way to say we're not doing this thing here. But they really turn the book into a story of the power of love, which that is not what the book is about at all. I encourage everyone to read that book. I think it's great. It made me just sob in Mud Library at Oberlin College. I was just weeping like an absolute child. Um, really good book. Didn't they, um, I, isn't it the case? Because I, I feel like the the author like helped write the screenplay. Yeah. There's also a code. Uh, author of the screenplay for the new Matrix, right? So I yeah. only I only put that David out there to Mitchell, be like <laughs> some of the issues you have, yeah. uh, uh, maybe reflected in the author co-signing on them, and then also that author then being involved in obviously. A yeah, movie yeah I really like this collaboration. David <laughs> Big Mitchell Hollywood movies is chasing the fucking bag, and I'm not going to blame him for it. It's hard yeah. to be a writer, okay? <laughs> like we all know this. <laughs> Oh, I'm with you. I just I, I yeah. wanted to point that out because there's an interesting through line yeah. of like, oh, you know, of, of that collaboration. Absolutely. And I feel like David Mitchell's like literary leanings are probably going to improve the script for Matrix 4. I, I It's hard. Having read most of his bibliography also, I feel like he it is a natural fit, but they needed to not do that book. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, just not that book. There's a, a lot of other great... I would love to see the Wachowskis do Slade House. If you've read that book, that would be fucking fantastic. There's a lot of really good stuff they could do with his material. That one, they just leaned hard into this incredibly racist idea of dressing up white people to look like other races. And yes, they did have Asian actors in white face or whatever you'd call it, but it doesn't... It is like... 
that also wasn't convincing. That also looked stupid and bad. And also uh, it just calls out so much more strongly, just like Tom Hanks and Asian face. It's just disgusting. You know, it's Tom Hanks. They've just done weird makeup on his eyes. It's, it's See, fucked so like up. the kind of thing that in an, like an animated like approach, you could you could sidestep yeah. a lot of those oh, issues. Yeah. And an animated approach, it wouldn't even have been a problem. But here it just feels. Yeah. It just we gotta have like, Tom Hanks here again because like we we cast him. Uh, yeah. So what are we gonna yeah. do? Not put Tom Tom, Tom Hanks I, in this movie? Uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, go ahead. But sorry. yeah, I guess like here we're at a moment where those instincts are beginning to surface. Like this is kind of mm-hmm. their blank check movie. It's also mm-hmm. wild to think about like how young they are making this. Oh my god! Like, when this I hear about their- like the nightmare shoot, two hundred some days, I'm like. Yeah, that I would probably fuck up in some ways if like mid 30s someone's like Oh yeah. Here are all the resources the studio system of this moment can give you. Uh go make your dream project off that script that was basically self-contained. Good luck. Yeah. They wrote that uh, you know Phil Pope uh, said they read that Kubrick book and I think the exact quote he says is I wanted to dig up Kubrick and punch him in the face. <laughs> like, like you don't need to do uh, take 90. <laughs> oh, William. <laughs> so that's William energy. Uh, so we we have the brawl uh, in the rain. It's very again Dark City, a film that I gather the Wachowskis were actually big fans of. Uh, uh, Dark City, so what yeah. a good movie. We, really, we're really doing sort of the, a similar uh, gods in the in the clouds above the city, uh, having a big old punch up. It's cool <laughs> um, when they are fighting so fiercely through the sky that they are themselves like a tornado uh, ripping through the city is is really great. Uh, But I think what gets really key here is the end as Smith defeats Neo in the physical fight. And it's so like, Hugo Weaving's good at this. The way he, the realization this feeling of he stepped onto the thin ice of prophecy mm-hmm. and he can feel it cracking beneath his feet. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's trying to be himself in this moment and realizing he can't be that like he is playing a part and he's playing it badly. And mm-hmm. everything he says, it sounds like something he's heard before. And just the like the way all the bravado and courage just drains out of him. And we get to him sort of unpacking his nihilism, which is just this, anger and rage that there are these feelings he can't believe are real. He can't experience them and therefore they aren't real. He is, a, he is what is the the opposite of empathy, right? Anything he has not experienced, he's like, you must be lying. Or doesn't uh, want to, right? Like, yeah. I think, you know, he has that moment at the end of the original in which there are probably, there's a different path, right? We've seen other programs uh, in the Matrix either develop or learn or like, you know, I mean, the whole point of like the sequence in the subway is like, you know, what is love if not a connection? And like Smith just chooses not to make them and instead treats them as an, an alien well, object. Uh, I, but I think it's more, it's, it's even more one-to-one than that. Smith is trying to make this argument of these are just words. These are just like elements of ideology mm-hmm. that have been told mean a thing and you believe and you act as if they are real, but they are not. They are just words. The like scene faith. in the subway. <laughs> like faith in like faith in yeah. Neo, like yeah, faith in yeah. a prophecy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and then the scene in the subway puts this marker down of, no, the concepts exist even before the words. The words are just expressions we give to concepts I that we feel and are innate. I love, love, love that whole conversation. I yeah. mean, I love Sati. And as a whole ass character, I well, her, her parents. One's a game designer, 
and yeah. one is a game designer program yeah. and one is like a waste management program. It's yeah. like work and play are the yeah. two, like the parents of this thing are, are, are a program that is like the most wor- work a day ass program. Mm-hmm. And then there's the program that is just designed around like play Enjoyment, love, yeah. play, experimentation. Like, of course, a game design program is going to experiment. That's what play is about. And yeah. She's secretly really, really stressed and joyless in that yeah. scene. Yeah. <laughs> the game designer program, <laughs> she ain't playing. She's like, stop talking to this guy. This whole story is about the programs unionizing. Um, but yeah, it is. I also love that the waste management program has a conversation with Nia about the concept of karma and like what karma yeah. actually is. You know, just he says, you love your karma. And he's like, yes, I have to accept my karma in order to move on past my karma. And here you see that really played out. You know, Neo has to accept all of the baggage that comes with being the subject of prophecy and his fear of that in order to stand up and say, well, I accept that these things are a part of me. I accept that, no, I cannot defeat you. And I still choose to fight you. Like that ends up being the sort of idea that destroys the nihilism of Smith, that once Smith takes over Neo, he cannot comprehend the idea that you could still choose to resist even if you have no actual ability to resist. Right. And that's the real choice, right? Like that's the the actual choice being made at the end that Smith isn't making. Like Smith is like, I've seen this thing where I win and I'm going to follow that to the T until I, until the point I can no longer see after yeah. which, you know, after which you learn that he can no longer see because he gets exploded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Classic defeat of nihilism. God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. After this college, is a revolutionary I just exploded And then I got mental, better mental health. <laughs> Actually, Smith, yes, go I did to have therapy. Yeah. Men will literally take over the entire right. matrix instead of going to therapy. You got you beat me to it. I was I was I said the first part before I got to the second part. Everyone yeah. racing through yeah. the same joke. Yeah. Uh, we're all so, on the highway from reloaded. Yes, <laughs> yes. Racing to that reference. <laughs> I think uh, I also love the the sort of we talked about Smith uh, in the first movie as kind of also an 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 analogy for um uh kind of right-wing extremists and like the fact that ultimately they are still playing into the system that they think they're fighting against right mm-hmm. and yeah 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 smith's here at the end uh, repeating the oracle's words to neo unknowing that he's repeating this systemic thing that the oracle used to be where like that's that's where the turning point happens, right? Where uh, what what is it? That he, what is the actual line? Um, everything that has a beginning has an end. This is the exact same line that the Oracle said at the beginning of this movie to 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 Neo when right before Smith uh, comes, kind of explaining her being okay with knowing that she's about to. You don't think die. Smith is doing that ironically? No, in the same. Way I think the Oracle Sati is to the Oracle. I think the Oracle is doing it through. Smith to let Neo know that there's still a path forward, right? Like there's still hope to come back from this brink of like, uh, as long as you like, like Smith's issue here is that he can't, he isn't making choices, right? He's falling in line with what those power structures are, right? Like he's like the way that right wing accelerationists aren't like fighting against the system of the patriarchy and they're just like accelerating it to its like most extreme end 
Smith here is also like he's not breaking out or like destroying the matrix actually he's just accelerating this structure of control to its extreme end and neo's choice here is that there is a path forward that is different from the programming right like the there's a choice to be made that smith isn't making even though smith thinks that he has free will he doesn't he isn't actually exerting it because he's just following these things that he sees but neo does right neo makes the choice Mm -hmm. even though the choice is difficult right (laughs) yeah even though the choice has absolutely no guarantee of success. Right. Also, right. yeah, the choice to uh, resist oppression is always worth making, essentially. Yes. If, as long as, even if you don't know, you will succeed. Like, success is not the only reason why you should support his political cause. I feel like we've seen right. this play out in sort of the Democratic Party for the past couple of years, <laughs> right? And it's like, you can't... Or like, how you even measure... victory. Yeah. How you even measure what success is, honestly. But, like, yeah, yeah. it's like the the... The Smith thinking that he's made choices to get to here when ultimately he's just falling into an accelerated version of the program itself, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is is kind of to me where the like analogy of like, uh, like the two sides of extreme, like you know, the political spectrum ex- extremes of like the far left and the far right, uh, you know, come to like a point here where it's like the far le- the far the far right isn't. They think they're like fighting against some specter of the the left that is taking over and like oppressing them, but that's not real, right? Like the structures in mm-hmm. power are the structures that benefit them. They just want more of that benefit. Like yeah. they want to ex- externalize and extreme like all of the benefits that they're already getting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Well, I did not think we were going to have <laughs> endorsing horseshoe theory. Uh, by by the not end, here. horseshoe, but uh, like. <laughs> No, I think there's still opposite ends, right? Like, th- that's the yeah. point, though. Like, is that yeah, one of them yeah. is, is fighting for a structure that already exists and they think is is being, like, you know, they, the they argue making, that they're being oppressed when they're not, obviously, right? Yeah, one is sort of making a... The thing that Neo is defending is a future that has not yet been seen. Yeah. And the thing that the Smith is fighting for is a future he has seen and likes and yes. wants to, to propagate. Uh, so with Smith being exploded, um, <laughs> I love that effect too. When you see all of them glowing behind their sunglasses, like the sunglasses become the most important yeah, part yeah. of Smith. Suddenly, I love that. <laughs> the uh, the machines. Well, it's cool. The machines sort of halt their assault when Neo's doing the thing, as the truce ta- the ceasefire takes effect. Yeah, and once the war is over, they start swimming around like harmless sea creatures inside Zion, the, the, like schools of fish drifting above. And the kid realizes Neo did the thing and is the messenger of the herald of of the peace. Um, <laughs> and everyone's like, trying to remember your name. Still can't. Good what job. Let, let Morpheus do it. Dude earned it. Can he go, can't he go tell the club members they can start fucking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And turn the turn the rave music back on. <laughs> yeah, put, put on the iPod. <laughs> Someone had uh, me the Oxcord. I got the great time for this. Except it's Zion, so of course the iPods too. Like uh, that speaks to a network. Can't have that. So they bring yeah. out the Victrola. Uh, <laughs> the kids just turning the crank over here in a corner. <laughs> so the and then the the machines load Neo on the back of a flatbed. And drive him out of the movie. 
um, mm-hmm. in a Christ pose, but still like crucif- crucifixion pose, but still mm-hmm. like they just yeah, I'd, I'd kind of forgotten like I, I had vague memories of like mm-hmm. one of the final mm-hmm. moments of Neo, but like the, the end of this movie is like wildly ambiguous. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, like you see the opening. The con- yeah, it's the it's the opening of like uh, possible like whereas the Matrix one ends with like tantalizing possibilities that you have to imagine. It's like, no, like I can pretty quickly imagine how this is all going to go wrong awfully fast. But they, even, um, they yeah. even fucking hint at it in the like very last scene, right? With the yeah, arch- yes. architect and the Oracle. Uh, yes. Like the Oracle says, how do you also, expect, what are they gonna do how long do you expect the peace to last? Right? Like this isn't mm-hmm. a be all end all because like, you know, humans are prone to conflict and and thus also the the ai that humans created also prone to conflict right like it's also not clear to me why the robots even need to respect the peace agreement at this point like neil's gone like mm-hmm. they can't just turn him on again so if they just wanted to go back to the oppressive state i guess the presumption is well we've eliminated both like the like well, the counter like, here's like these- here's the thing so here's the new truce though so the, the human resistance was like, we're going to liberate everyone from the right. Matrix. We're going to show people that the Matrix is this prison that they're in. The peace treaty is that, yes, there are always those people who are in the Matrix who would prefer to like live free in the physical world, not part of the system, this machine. But there are people who like are more in the cipher camp of like, the world out there is hard, is different. This is the world I've known. It is the world I'm comfortable with. Let me with let the me know choice. when the sky clears up and I'll I'll be I'll hang come hang out. Yeah, yeah. like so the now what has been given is not liberation from the matrix necessarily. It is the choice to be liberated or not. The right. choice to be in the matrix or not. That's that seems to be the the condition yeah. and that works just fine for the machines cuz you got to believe a lot of people, especially with Sati making a kind of, kinder, gentler uh, matrix where like the sun actually exists as opposed mm-hmm. to a vague, yeah, <laughs> a vague we've never like eggshell seen the sky. Fucking sun. It's always cloudy yeah. in the fucking matrix. Yeah. 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 You know, <laughs> or even when it's not, it's like a weird high overcast. I remember yeah. um, like in like American cinematographer back like in 99 uh, where they're talking about it was important that the sky never looked blue. They right. were like it was always yeah. different shades of like eggshell white, like a shitty ceiling. Yeah, um, that like yeah. Th- like it, the sky looks institutional in the. It's matrix. a very subtle way of making the entire world look drab, where it's just like once you actually see the sun, it's a realization of what you've been missing. Like that's how oppressive it is. It feels. I mean, the level of green, now the green in that final scene between Oracle and the and, and the architect, it's not like a sickly wash right. over everything. Yeah. It's green from Organic. nature. Yeah. Yes. It's yep. the green of grass. You know, it's saucy <laughs> no, frolicking in it. Yeah. No, it's a shader that was developed by somebody <laughs> yeah. uh, over in the machine town. But yeah. uh, <laughs> now we can't now. I love Sati. Great work, Sadi. So Redeeming the Matrix. I will say we could probably turn the saturation down a little bit <laughs> on the sunrise. Like, yeah. yes, Ooh, I think, I think Neo would. <laughs> Neo will appreciate the thought, but Neo might appreciate slightly less exaggerated colored color tones. Yeah, it's like Sachi. I know you like the filmic works of J.J. Abrams, but we don't need all that lens flare. <laughs> it's like I know you love the impressionist. Actually, it's perfect. Fuck it. She's a little kid. 
kid, remember when you had the big boxes of crayons with oh, yeah. all oh, yeah. the colors? Every color. Did yeah. you make good decisions with those <laughs> colors? No, I didn't. No. There's a purple in that sunrise. Have you seen a sunrise before? It's gray. Sunrises are gray. And it's nice, but they're gray. Like, <laughs> you know, not yeah, a lot of color like, there. In Sati's, in Sati's, uh, like... Uh, in Sadi's collection of like crayons, like all like the neons and like fuchsias are worn down to a nub. Yeah. And like anything neutral tone is just like still got the sharp point. Yeah. 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 Uh, I love it though. I love just the movie that's straight up like little Indian girls protect them. <laughs> They're the most important <laughs> thing in the entire universe. Sati, I. Sati's definitely in the trailer for Resurrections, right? That's definitely her. Oh, yeah. 100%. Her hair is the same. It looks like her. You know, in the way that she looks knowingly at Neo, you know, you would idolize that man for the rest of your life if you met him in that kind of heightened situation where your family's on the lam. God, I just, I'm so invested in that character. I don't know. I know exactly <laughs> why it is, actually. I don't not know why it is. I, I'm... I become excited for The Matrix when I think about how the two characters that are advertising the most in these trailers really don't do have like another chapter here, which is their love. I'm totally fine with this next movie just being about love. You know, it doesn't need to be philosophical again. Or maybe it does in terms of uh, like b- reincarnation and having another life. I'm I'm ready yeah, for I hope, that. But I, I hope it's not so much about like what's the next chapter in the matrix. That's yes. why that's my dread is and we're softly dread. relaunching this entire thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you read interviews about um you know, obviously, you know, uh both Wachowski is not coming back for this. This is just this one of them that and, and the re, you know they're like parental law this essentially this whole this movie like the genesis of it was about grief and when the people in your life can't can't come back um these characters could and what would it mean for those characters to come back and exploring grief and loss and presumably resurrection and reincarnation like mm-hmm. those are like really fertile ground and obviously you have to advance the next chapter in the matrix story by default like this will take place presumably take place after uh uh you know uh you know the, the third movie but yeah like i'm I hope it's not like passing the baton to a new set of Matrix characters. I hope it's a a sort of closing the book. You know, this is what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I would like. Like, what does it it mean for machines and humans? Like some some sort of version, like essentially like a logical conclusion of a premise set up of a a series of dominoes that will occur at the end of the Matrix Revolutions regardless. Mm -hmm. Like this movie sort of like doesn't have to be like closing, but like in the same way that that first movie ends with possibility but like i feel good i feel closure yeah. over yeah. the story like a complete I'd story the, has I, been told you know yes mm-hmm. and i'd love for the, for this the matrix you know i mean I, look warner brothers will make another one at some point but especially with like some measure of the original creative team involved like finding a way for you know having loved what they've done with this series like find a way to achieve some version of that finality even knowing at some point it means an executive will say make another matrix movie but like these creative people if they if they're it's rare to be given the chance to like close that book, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm I'm excited to see how they chose how they choose to close it, or I guess don't close it. I guess you know maybe you I come know. out of it. We're all like, yeah. actually, <laughs> we, we well, because that's the thing. Like watching this. this again, 
I think they have closed it. It's an uneasy piece, but like yeah, right. we can imagine because yes. it does. Again, we don't need to know how it turns out. It is like Correct. it could be uneasy. It could collapse. That's the sort of thrill and and well, dread of it. See if you that, played the Matrix online. Well, there we go. <laughs> right? I can tell you this story. You'd know that Morpheus One, was assassinated by a big bug man. <laughs> Well, and one of the big things, right, is like the machines didn't give Neo back to the people. And that yes. becomes like sort of a yes. sticking point. Yeah. Uh, and like Trinity also dies on her way to the machine city. So there is no telling what happened to her. He leaves her and no one knows what happened to her at all. So yeah. these, she fell into the she also fell into the source code. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, so like it's yeah. not hard to see the like how you find a way to get these characters and this, you know, I back think in action is for everyone that was deeply invested in the Matrix. Like especially specifically for me, I did not realize how much I like this this sort of the 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 very the yearning and longing between these characters. Mm-hmm. But I I do kind of want to see like there's one thing in the world that would make Neo reawaken again, and it's Trinity. Like I do want to see that. I yeah. do want to see those two characters kind of get a bow on the end of their story yeah. there's- because. They gave up so much. I, I want to yeah. see them get something out of it. One of the big like through lines of the Wachowski's work at this point has been the the theme of love and love's power to mm-hmm. you know over over people like the way that it changes people's choices and also the the way that 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 can be like pulled on as a source of power, right? Yeah. Um, and like you see it here at the end of of the first Matrix, that that beginning to be like a, a central theme, like the love of between Trinity and uh, Neo being so powerful. Um, and so it's it, yeah, it's it's interesting to see like after they've done all this other uh, like takes on the power of love in their other things, even in like the power of love and also love as a connection specifically. Um, am I? Did, has anyone else seen Sense Eight here? I've seen mm-hmm. most of Sense8. I haven't seen all of it. But Sense8 it. really is a... I like yes. it a lot. I yes. like it a lot. And it's 100% about, like, people from different backgrounds finding love and commonality. It is, a yeah. like, a loving story about how we are all one race, man. But it's even <laughs> better. I mean, it's better yeah. than that because yes. it strives to show how different we all are, but how love can overcome that and compassion can overcome that. Yes. I think it's beautiful. And so like a, a post-Sense8 take on that, I think does fit into here, into the story of Trinity and Neo, as you were saying. Like, I'm I'm pretty, mm-hmm. I'm really curious about having seen them do that in Sense8 and really enjoying the way that they've, they talked about that connection and like, yes, compassion between uh, people of like, what, how to, how that slides into here is going to be interesting, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's a beautiful moment in Sense8 that I think ties together a lot of the themes of the Wachowskis over the years where yeah. characters in all in different parts of the world, they all start singing what's up, what's going on. Like one of them is at karaoke, <laughs> one of them just it comes on shuffle on her iPod, one of them just happens to come on on the radio. And then for a moment, they're all singing this song and their connection is so deep that they all suddenly see and feel each other singing this song like they're all one being. It, does, it is very much like a... a 
sort of like an orientalist approach to Hinduism and Hinduist thought a little bit, but it is also so compelling. And so if you've ever been in a room where someone's doing karaoke and everyone sings along suddenly, like it happened to me with my friend Rachel singing um, She Fucking Hates Me by Puddle of Mud. I just walked <laughs> in the room and everyone was going, la, 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 la. And I was like, this is magical. This right. is literally like what connects us to our common man or moments did like not, these. Did not have puddle of mud reference no i know rachel's have incredible. not heard that since she put the card uh, down and i was like school. is that gonna really is you really singing that rachel and she's like it works people love it and they did the people loved it <laughs> let's listen to some stain it's been a, it's been a while <laughs> So, <laughs> as well, we, Rob, as you we go, well, Rob, you don't want to talk about some more new metal bands from no, the no, no, 90s? Need, Luke Biscuit just to go. came out with a new album. We can talk about that. Like. <laughs> and this podcast is now rocketing down the little slurry tubes. Oh, I do want to do uh, one that, side note, because when we brought up yeah. uh, Tank, I was doing some Googling, mm-hmm. and does it seem like he was maybe squeezed out some studio shenanigans, yada, yada? Yes. Does that necessarily exclude him putting out elaborate 45 minute YouTube videos called hashtag matrix gate decades after these incidents and being deliberately transphobic to the Wachowski. No. So going to say there's a bit of uh, not. So we're glad tank is dead. Yeah. (laughs) I think we might be, you know, I think we might be, Uh, I haven't not watched this, this video, but uh, the write-ups I'm seeing are uh, a couple of red flags is Mm -hmm. what, is what I'm saying. Like, don't know that uh, this actor needed to point to like, Keanu Reeves' wife dying is being like a reason for his predicament. Um, uh, uh, so. That's an incredibly tragic story about his, his yeah. wife dying, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, it's, you'd have to be, well, you'd be the kind of person who would be transphobic if you would make sensationalize yeah. that. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, just well, wanted to get that note in at the end. Thank you. Because I can't see someone writing in <laughs> you know? to be like, hey, so. Yeah. Uh, sorry for everyone who also just discovered that Tank is a transphobe, but here you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, at least they got, he got fucking Mercutio. <laughs> Thank God Cypher got that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Joey Pants wins once again. <laughs> I'm glad they got Mercutio uh, to replace him, though. I love Mercutio. Honestly, yes, I love Mercutio. I love him. Have we done a Romeo plus Juliet yet? Because that movie's still good. That movie's fucking amazing. I watched it like so, like last month. It's so good. Mercutio is my favorite character in that yeah. play, and that he's he's by far the best cinematic version of Mercutio. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Really, just I was I, I literally pointed at my screen and when he came on the screen. I was like, "Hey, it's Mercutio! I love this actor." Oh my god, his, I I absolutely love him. I Baz Luhrmann should only do Shakespeare. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. By the way, I'm just imagining the machines don't want to tell the humans what they did with Neo because, like, they just let their programming take over and they dropped him down into the like the recommendation tanks. And oh, no. yeah, they were just like, uh, uh, oopsie. We kind of forgot that to, to like turn the like garbage collection. Ro- Not that they were garbage, yeah, but mm. like we have certain robots that like do a thing. We forgot. Uh, yeah. Sorry, long we'll story give you short. Another Neo. Can you give us twenty to twenty-five years? <laughs> like, we might have fed Neo and Trinity to the other to the other eggs. Uh, yeah. 
sorry. You know, I love that. Have you guys actually, seen The Lion King, though? In a way, it's kind of good, right? Yeah. It's a circle <laughs> of life. I, I actually do want that to be true because it would mean that, like, I, I want them to literalize the reincarnation. You can literalize the reincarnation here, right? Yeah. Where, oh, they returned <laughs> back into goop. Gloop. And then they were reincarnated by our system, which mm. has a finite amount of, I don't know, human designs it creates. So it recreated well, at the, the beginning of the movie. They also separate the idea of a person's consciousness from their body here. Right. Like Neo yeah, enters yeah. the Matrix while his body is still outside and not checked in. So, like, it's all there. The setup is all yeah. there. <laughs> the setup is all there. I, I feel like just the entire story of Neo awakening Trinity, that could be so beautiful of him getting to save her. I just really want it to happen. Because Carrie <laughs> Ann Moss also deserved better. Yes. I love. What if, though, the Matrix Resurrection is all a, a head fake? And oh it's God. like an everyday life AU of like all the characters in the Matrix just hanging out and living their best lives now in the new Honestly, like revamped Matrix. I watched that movie too. Joey Pants owns a steak restaurant now. And- yeah, yeah. Like they just, we have that scene of like Neo meeting Trinity like at a coffee shop and like they just start dating and he like attends her gallery shows. Matrix and- coffee shop AU? Oh my yes. God, please, uh, please. All right, so to prepare for the upcoming Matrix coffee shop AU, uh, we have to watch the Animatrix and see the other AUs and That's other, so like, actually canonical, yeah, uh, like, different takes and angles on the Matrix that what exists. But have we also so. watched all the cutscenes from Enter the Matrix? I watched 20 minutes of them last night. Yeah. You know, there's a okay. great video from some guy who goes by Little Gamers, Gamers Little Playground, which is an nope. incredible visual image there. And mm. he... The, 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 the graphic he uses before the videos is Mario doing the Jumpman pose. Great. <laughs> God damn it. I love gamer culture for this reason only. It's so dumb. But yeah, that video, the pers- that person also shows you a little bit of the game in between cutscenes. Like he'll have it sort of fade out. So you'll see like a minute of what Niobe is doing in that scene. And they all, nobody can see this that's listening, but they all walk like this everywhere. Arms Because arms technology like, yeah. of the time couldn't let you put your arms down. <laughs> <laughs> they'll just look like linebackers with their elbows out perpendicular. Excellent. It's amazing. Uh... So yeah, we're gonna stick around. We're gonna at least get into the the animatrix. Uh, we probably, well, I don't know, maybe I will go to Gamer's Little pro- Playground and get caught <laughs> up on the on those, on those cutscenes. After all, who am I to reject any of the output of William Pope uh, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the Matrix? Uh, so you can stick around, and uh, you'll probably hear that on the main feed. Uh, this will the next thing you'll hear from us about the Matrix on this feed is probably going to be. When Resurrections comes out, yeah, and we wait. finally we finally tuck into this coffee shop AU. Uh, we're super excited in. Yeah, and I just thought to, up, but now I'm super invested in. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there'll probably like be a beat on that because that movie comes out while we're on on break, um, and so that'll probably be something we record. And am I going to theaters? Like, is the, no, no, it's on HBO Max. HBO Max. Well, well, yeah. It'll go straight to. Okay, I mean, if you can go. find yourself, you know, empty theater, go in the morning. Like, this seems like a kind of movie would benefit from a big, big theater. But I will, Blessed, I will probably watching in it in New York at, City. At we had zero COVID deaths yesterday, so Ooh. getting my booster soon. I feel like at least in New York, we might be able to go to a theater and see it. I'm pretty hopeful. I'm keeping my if eyes you t- on if the you time yeah. it to like morning yeah. stuff, and especially these HBO Max ones where like 
the, the attendance is just lower because yeah, people can people watch at home. Watching like at there home is a way, there choice. is a way to, especially these days where you can, on the apps, you can, I did this the one time we saw Dune in the theater because mm-hmm. my wife is like huge for that. And so I we just that. didn't buy our tickets until an hour before the showing. So I could see where people had, are sitting. Right. I was like, well, we'll just sit over here. And like, we're good. Uh, but my guess is you could also do that with the Matrix. But yeah, I, my guess is we'll record that the first week of January. After We have to see everyone's schedules, how that Line Patrick says my wife is huge for Dune. I immediately think of Lita the second, and I'm like, "Yeah, she a big worm." <laughs> <laughs> She's super into spoilers. Yeah. Your wife has become an evil worm for the good of mankind, and I think I really express <laughs> respect to admire Katie for doing this. Like, <laughs> yeah, salute, mad respect. Oh, God. Uh, all right, so uh, stick around for all of that. But thank you to everyone for supporting us on Waypoint Plus and making it possible for us to spend three hours in the middle of a week talking about the Matrix. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, like it's. I mean, but seriously, like as on the backs of like the you know recent like all day stream and the holiday sales, like we do. I feel at least confident saying like we have like um, more subscribers than we've ever had before and it's like super exciting and it's helping us do a lot of stuff internally and so just like a huge thanks for, for folks letting us have these indulgences because it's it's all all thanks to you. Hell yeah. And we will leave it there uh, for, for now and we will see you again when it's time to get resurrected uh, in the Matrix. Until then, I, I thought he was going to say when it's time to jack back in. Jack back in? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I thought we were done jacking off. Now I'm jacking back in. God damn it. Thanks, right y'all. I thought I jacked out. I'm jacking Every back time in. I'm jacked back out. They made they, me they jack jacked back me back in. in. This is oh, being forced no. to crank hog sounds really, really arduous <laughs> for you guys. Sorry. Sorry, they're always making you jack back in. I'm sure they're making you do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh.